Well, it's episode 12 of Auto Catch-Up, and boy, a lot of news has happened. Um, we've got the local car sales figures for um, for last month. The new Porsche Taycan has launched in Australia, and we've got pricing for that. Um, the controversial, co- controversial 4 Series BMW has... Uh, got a lot of people on either side of the new design particularly for the front grille um and a lot more so to to get stuck into this discussion we've got joel and mick again joel strickland at joel strick photo welcome joel good to have you back hi ash hi mick and uh that's mick mcwilliams next with uh, at low flight tech uh welcome back mick hi gents how are we going <laughs> Good. Well, it's been a, a big week. Um, Joel, what have you been up to? You've been uh, busy working away in the studio? Uh, yeah, well, I can now sort of officially sort of talk about what I was doing the other week and because uh, it's uh, been released on uh, a couple of other sites, which is um, I got to spend a little bit of time in the studio with the LC500 convertible, uh, which was pretty cool to, uh, oh. to see. And, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a work of art, I tell you what, gents. Uh, the Lexus have um, had a, ma- have got a massive win on their hands with that thing. The roof, you know, being convertible, it's a it's a fabric roof, but oh, it, the whole thing is just beautiful, and it's in this stunning blue um, color. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see these things on the road. Uh, I think they're due here later this year, so um, yeah, pretty special, pretty special car. And then um, yeah, I also spent time this week at um, Shannon's doing some wrap up videos for them on. Uh, the results of um, their online auction, which finished up uh, earlier this week. Um, so yeah, it was cool to be back in a showroom full of cool mm. cars and to uh, to see some of the results. But um, yeah, it's a little bit heartbreaking walking around and looking at the results of some of the stuff of what it's sold for. In terms of you know, there was a, there's a beautiful 930 there that I would love, but it went for over 150 thousand dollars. So um, I owe to have bought those when they were around at the time. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, I think that's a lot of people feel the same way. Uh, a lot of their first cars or cars that at some point might have been a stretch to attain, um, but obviously they, they made at the time the, the the smarter financial decision, but now I'm sure there's a few people kicking themselves um, over that. But I do want to ask, Joel, do you have your boat license? Because LC500 is a, a sports yacht, for the road don't you think it's a massive massive good looking sports car yeah look it is a great car i've driven the um uh, i've driven the standard coupe um and it's the v8 in that thing is just heaven it's so much fun to drive it'd be probably one of my highlights in the last 12 months of cars that i've driven and uh and spent time in it yeah absolutely brilliant so such a good Mm. good looking car but yeah it is does have a lot of presence like the wheels on um yeah, you know, it's got massive rims on it. Uh, it has really big presence on the road. It's very wide and and you know it 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 is a it is a big looking car, but it is such a such a great fun thing to drive. But yeah, uh, no boat. I like, I like how abrupt the rear deck is. Like they've really just sort of chopped it off, kind of emphasizing the the window line. But you look at the profile yeah. of them; they look mm. it's, it looks magic. Oh yeah. I was following uh, the the corporate 
demo which Lexus have um, for dealers up here on the way back to um, the the location where we sort of pick up and drop off all of our press cars from. And um, mm. I remember looking at, oh man, that looks good. It was in like a that that red, that you know, that rich ruby red metallic color. Yeah, that's a great and, color. Oh man, I was, just, I was like immediately jumping on the phone to Lexus, going, any chance that I could book some time in that? Yeah, it's it's gorgeous looks great i haven't had a chance to drive one yet myself but um it's just one of those ones whenever i see it on the road it just yeah it, it, it's kind of like it's it's unlike um the bmw 6 series in the past and now the 8 series um even the mercedes offering and that kind of thing doesn't seem to carry as much of the presence as the lexus does it's so much it just it fits that bill for a large sports coupe, um, which I think the others just, if you see it glancing on the road, um, yeah, I, for me anyway, the Lexus always grabs my attention more than any other ones in that space. They seem a bit sharper and cleaner, you know, like the, yeah. I, I did see an 8 Series Beamer on the road the other day and it was utterly captivating. <laughs> um, yeah. But it still doesn't have that same clarity. Like the LC500 is just... I don't know. They don't. They don't need to touch it. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it makes a statement. It's a statement car, yeah. I think. Anyway, like when you see it, because there's there's a lot of design elements that, like in some angles, particularly in that yellow which they have, it does look a little bit like an LFA. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, you that's know, it, and, obviously the granddaddy of it all. And that, yeah. oh, don't get me started on one of those. That thing is just <laughs> its a pinnacle of what of Lexus's creativity over yeah. the past few years, you know. Um, that and thing, this is really kind of like the mainstream of that, that, that trickle-down effect of, you know, here's the mainstream sort of evolution of that in a way that is affordable for more people and yeah. um, a lot more, you know. Um, here's the one you can dream about. Here's the one you can yeah, have. That's right. Well, they're not exactly giving them away, but yeah. No. But yeah. <laughs> I think hopefully everybody at home knows what we mean anyway. Yep. Um, but what about you, Mick? I think you, from what I've seen online, you've had a bit of fun with that Pajero Sport from Mitsubishi. I have. I haven't. Unfortunately, they put some uh, some new chains up around my test track. Uh, in the in the hinterlands, <laughs> but I do have another one. Um, and it was just, it's 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 quite interesting actually because when I drove the Challenger uh, a few years ago, it was it was pretty disappointing to be honest. Um, underpowered, could barely get out of its own way. It was a bit crowded. I think it had had a pretty rough life too. Like it had had a um, a few journos beat it around before I got my hands on it. Um, but the yeah, the Pajero Sport. I've got the Xseed, so it's top of the line. So it's um, um, pretty well appointed as far as all the um, automatic everything and uh, great LED headlights. Um, the little the little tricks like the indicator light. So when you put your right indicator on, the little spotlight comes on the right hand side, so you can see around the corner before you turn. Oh, yeah. It's got a lot of those nice little things, you know, that you get in the sort of um, uh, the upper sort of premium space. But I mean, it's it's a truck. Uh, it's based on a truck, and I'm surprised it doesn't drive like a truck. I mean, it's still very much a four by four wagon. It's not um, overly refined or anything, not not by any stretch. 
but I, I found it quite comfy and it's because it's got an eight speed auto it, it really does a good job of managing the it's got a lot of low down torque even though it's yeah. only four i think it's 420 or 440 mm-hmm. uh, newton meters but because it's got the eight speed it, it seems to use that torque really well you're not racing anybody and nobody would expect you to either um, but it's, it pulled uphill, crawled really well. Um, didn't really have any problems getting anywhere that I sent it. Um, so, yeah, I was I was quite pleasantly surprised. I mean, having a um, a bad baseline to start with <laughs> makes it seem even more fantastic. <laughs> it handles uh, pretty well on the road, though, too, doesn't it? It does. It does, and it's it seems to be the right size. Like I, f- I haven't sat in a um, in a Fortuna for a while. But I seem to recall that being feeling a bit narrow, and I think these two are pretty close as far as the measurements go. But I mean, we've had the the family of five in in there and had no problems as far as space went. It was certainly comfy enough. Even the third row, which you know, I I'm not a big fan of third rows because they're very close to the rear window, so there's not a lot of protection in a in a rear end type accident that sort of thing or even and then, from the sun depending on what direction you're driving you know just because that person gets yeah. baked you know? <laughs> yeah well even so in this one like when you have the headrest up in the third row it's like probably five or ten mil away from the glass so mm. it's pretty it's pretty close um but there was there was reasonable space in there i wouldn't use that third row for anything except an emergency really mm-hmm. um but as far as a family type SUV in that in that middle gap, you know, between people who are doing like Santa Fe stuff, which is you don't need a transfer case for, you know, that's kind of my delineator between four by four trucks and um, an all wheel drive SUVs is once you get the transfer case with the dual speed. So uh, when you can select for low, you're in another world sort of thing. Mm. Um, if you need that capability, this is the first sort of space where you can get into it. So, you know, you're looking so at the Fortunas and the MUX. With yep. the, the Pajero Sport, the, um, you know, even the, the Trailblazer from Holden when that was the yep. thing. Um, yeah. With these cars, who was it for? Because these are all vehicles that are, you know, are based off the dual cab ute variant. Um, but I always felt a little bit con- confused because I see families buying the dual cab utes or buying things like the Pajero or Prado or anything like that. And I've always yeah. found this car that sits in the middle a little bit confusing. But did can you sort of better define like who this is for and why people should be buying it over one or the other? Horsey pretty, people. It's a pretty broad, broad um, yeah. selection. Like, there's a lot of people that are buying it that are um, young couples that want, that like adventure and stuff like that, or middle mm. mid age middle age couples, or even that later generation that want to tow a caravan yeah. and stuff yep. like that. Um, That's what I was going to say. It, basically, yeah, yeah, people that want to put stuff on the back but not in the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, actually, it, do. It, there's a big difference there too, isn't there, Joel? Like parking one. Yeah. So the, yeah. So the pickup the ute with a tray, you've got an extra, what, foot and a half length when you've got the tray on the back versus yeah. the wagon version. Okay. They're a lot yeah. easier to park. It's like so. any, yeah, any of those, even the, you know, the Everest versus the, the Ranger. The, the Ranger's a lot longer than the Everest in terms of length with the yeah. tray length on it with being dual cab and, and stuff like that. But, yeah, the, the market is quite big. I mean, it's interesting to see when you look at it, like rental car companies now are using the um, – Page Sport is one of their rental cars. I got given one, I got a slight upgrade. I, was, I think I booked an X Trail and ended up with a Pajero Sport for 
for a couple of days for a for a rental, and I, that was the right. first time I'd really spent some good quality time in it, and I was really impressed by it in terms of what what it could do. This was the previous gen. Mix obviously driving the new one, which has obviously had a bit of an upgrade and, and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting. And and the, the beauty the thing is that with between the five and seven seat options, there there is different people are buying it for different reasons. I think the I find the five seater is a bit bare in the back. Um, the seven seater is even though if you don't use the seats that that um, floor setup is just a little bit cleaner. It's a bit gap. There's a few gaps between where the seats sit and stuff like that. Yeah, but, right. Um, yep. But yeah, it's 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 a broad a broad market. Ash, I think that's the thing is that it's someone that doesn't want to go for a Pajero or a Land Cruiser or um, even an Everest because the Everest are a bit more expensive in that price point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the, you know, the MUX um, and the Pajero Sport, um, the Fortuna is, again, a bit more expensive. So that's the thing. They're really well-priced and well well spec. So I think that's why people are appearing, appealing and buying a lot of them. And, um, you know, they're, they're pretty, pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they're, it's, they're so probably on the. Yeah, I was just going to say that they're probably a bit, a bit of a um, disadvantage when it comes to the, the not necessarily the towing capacity, but the ability because it's only a two point. Uh, was it a two point four? So, not exactly oozing in torque and power, but um, I think it's probably a better, more comfortable version than something like an MUX, which has more torque and more power. Um, but only has, I think they've got a six-speed auto, but that feels very much like a truck-based vehicle, whereas mm. the um, the Pajero Sport feels like a four-wheel drive wagon, absolutely no doubt, but it doesn't feel very trucky. Yeah, I, right. I actually, because that's always been the I, biggest thing when I've, I've driven one, like the Trailblazer, for example, that didn't really, I didn't, I, apart from a huge amount of headroom in that car and, and plenty of, yeah passenger space it just it felt like i was driving really unrefined truck and i was just like i don't know why um you know why do you offer that unless you go did you drive use case how how long ago did you drive it was it while the trailblazer was the um i'm trying to think what year they changed over but the last version of them was much better refined than the than the previous one there was a big change over when they upgraded upgraded the interior it made a big difference as far as the refinement went in the cabin but yeah i I did that was when um the interiors really started to diverge between the colorado and the trailblazer um because what i never really understood was that they had two completely different infotainment systems even though they were you know on the base the same car um but yeah, I don't know. That might have been a, have been a really, generational change, I think. Yeah, I I just yeah. never really fell in love with it. I know I've know I know some people who do drive them um and do own them and they love them. Um but yeah, it's just for me anyway, it's just a personal thing. I've I've never really had a, a massive need, you know, for it compared to some other people. So I guess it's probably a, for me in my mind it never really made that much sense compared to some of the other things that are out there. But um yeah, it's yeah. just interesting because we do have so many manufacturers making cars for what seem like particularly European manufacturers, I, I think um, more than anybody else, fit, trying to fit a car into every possible niche. Like look at Audi, BMW, Mercedes. Um, yep. They just try and plug used, every gap. 
Yeah, so BMWs, I, I think for me, is the one that I know best. You know, it was the the three, five, and seven, and then we went one, three, five, seven, and added the X five. Now we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, um, and the same, you know, sort of corresponding for the X vehicles. Yeah, and, well, those um, those sorts of vehicles, though. So if, if you're looking at the MUX, Trailblazer, um, Fortuna, Pajero Sport, they're really like the um, South America. Um, Middle Asia type big family four wheel drives. Mm. So they're not, nobody can, there's, there's less prevalence of things like land cruisers and that sort of thing in, in those areas because just the cost of the vehicle makes them um, prohibitive. So these are the answers for those types of areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it does seem to make, doesn't seem to make sense when you look, when you put it in a particular market on its own because they're developed for somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've I know a family friend who bought one. Uh, they bought it to replace their um, Outlander, which was a diesel that they bought to tow a pretty small camper trailer, mm. and that's what they've done. They've done a swap over now for a Pajero Sport to to tow that. So you know, people people just need something that's not massive like a like a Land Cruiser or um, not too trucky like a like a seventy series. Yeah, just something that fits in the middle. Like I've I've found parking the Pajero Sport quite easy. I've got it into, um, I mean, it's got a three hundred and sixty degree camera, which kind of helps a bit. But I've I have found it very unintimidating in the car park, which is pretty yeah. surprising for something that has that kind of off road capability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good stuff. So what are you moving into next? Uh, I have the one you jumped out of the other day. Ah, uh, the I left it nice and tidy for you. Sportage GT GT line two point mm-hmm. four. Mm-hmm. So how do, you, how do you find the acceleration? I'm actually kind of looking forward to that. Um, I pick it up on Monday, oh, and I've okay. had the I've I've had the two point four before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do recall. I mean, it's it's pretty tardy as far as response goes, mm-hmm. but it is quite smooth. It's just yeah. you know these are the sort of things that. Um, I mean, we've got to look at this sort of stuff all the time when we're test driving all these different cars, but really identifying what pocket they occupy, like where their character fits. Mm. That's kind of what I try and focus on rather than, you know, I do say things that I like or not, um, but I can't say that something's bad because I don't like it. It's, you know, they're appropriate for certain people. Like I've found that the turbo diesel is quite good in the in the Kia in the Kia and Hyundai twins. So the Tucson mm-hmm. and the and the Sportage with the eight speed. I can put the eight speed on the two point four. That might help a little bit with response and all that sort of thing. But again, uh, we've talked about this previously with the diesel fatigue. Obviously, you don't get it with two point four with the linear power delivery. And I think I've have you guys driven the Tucson with a one point six turbo? No. Because I've heard they're reasonably thirsty too. Is that the petrol? Yeah. I've driven the diesel Tucson. Um and that was pretty good. That yeah, was impressive. No, that was pretty good. Yeah, uh, current generation one is very good. Yeah, so I've, I mean, I've I would prefer a, a decent um, size petrol engine in the Sportage and the and the Tucson. I think the two point four is probably the better option compared to the one point six, which has to work pretty hard. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you how I go next week. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not expecting fireworks, but I've got a lot of commuting to do next week. So as long as I'm comfy, I want to get in those seats that you didn't like. 
<laughs> I don't think you, you didn't like the look of them, did you? No. At night. Oh, that's right. At doors, night. That's yeah, right. Open the doors yep. and you'll see what I mean. Yeah. It's. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be double checking that it's not like discoloration on the leather, you know, like that's You're making sure it's not filthy. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, yeah, but so I I handed back my um, my Renault Colios Intense. Um, that was one that I actually I quite enjoyed over the. It's a great car. Yeah, it's um, it looks good. I'm not. I if I was buying one, I wouldn't spec it in the dark metallic red that it came in um for the for the press vehicle. That I think that's a it was, a, it was an interesting choice to put as a, a press vehicle because it's also it's hard to take some good photos of a really dark metallic type color. Um, Joel, it needs, to be in the, it needs to be in the sun. Yeah, to really get the most of it, it needs it needs light on it. It needs to be in the sun, um, or it needs sudden flash added to it. So when I yeah. shot the the press kit for Renault for it, I um I put, flashed it a fair bit just to get mm. the the color to come out. Yeah, um, because it is such a unique color. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I really liked the vertical infotainment screen. It worked really well. Um, I think it, it it just makes a lot more sense when you're viewing a map and and things like that. And also gives a if you if you're not using CarPlay or Android Auto, it does the ability to actually have more than one piece of information on the screen at the time. So you can have the map on in the bottom half of the screen and then have your radio or, you know, your media controls above it. Um, and you get all of that information on the screen at once rather than sort of, you know, oh, i got to jump between the map and now that i got to jump, if I want to change the radio station, I have to jump between, you know, jump onto that screen and, and take yourself out of yep. You know those sorts of things. That works really well. CarPlay works great. It scales very well to the vertical display, um, which obviously makes maps look fantastic, um, and the screen resolution makes it look good. Some, you know, look very average. This this looks nice and sharp. It's not the best screen out there in terms of resolution, but it does a very very good job. And um, when you're driving along, the best thing about this vertical screen is that you can actually see what's ahead. So a lot of the um, apps, a lot of nav, just shows you kind of like you're a little bit ahead of what your journey is and, and you know, you're trying to work out what's going on, particularly if you're driving in a new area. But with the vertical screen, you can see for ages. It gives you that much more visibility of, you know, you can see that upcoming yeah, right. turn on the map rather than just reading, you know, in two kilometres you've got a right turn coming because um, it's hard to sort of get some perspective on that when, when you know, that sort of happens. Uh, so that works really well. Um, I liked the overall interior design. Does it, it have voice control? It does, but it's it's never anything that I find works very well. Um, and when I have my phone connected, Siri takes. <laughs> well, my sister speaks a little bit of French, and, and um, yeah, it, it, <laughs> I think it, 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 you, you just get snarky responses back. You know, if you don't ask the right question, it just doesn't help you. Um, but yeah, it, it was good. Fuel economy was was very respectable. It is, um, as we touched on last week, compared to 
and this is the the sheet that Renault sends out when scheduling a press car, and they list a couple of the other competitors. And um, in terms of the engine itself, it is down on power and torque compared to say the um, the Volkswagen Tiguan and um, oh, what was the other one? But it, it's it, in general, it's it's down on power compared to the other vehicles. It's sort of up against. Um, but I found that leaving it in four-wheel drive auto, it's not the most reactive engine, but it does a pretty good job and fuel economy isn't too bad. So I ended up after 640 or so-ish kilometers, um, averaging about 8.7, which included a lot of you know urban-type traffic, not a lot of highway this time. And um, so I thought that was quite good. Passenger comfort yeah, in the Yeah, quite respectable, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. impressive figures that it'll do. When we had it, we did about 800 Ks in it, and I was really impressed with the... Um, the usage for the economy on it. Yeah, and um, rear passenger comfort is good. The auto tailgate I like. Um, it just, it, it's so funny when you go back to a car that you have to pull the, the tailgate up and down. You really miss just being able to hit a button and have <laughs> yep. it come up. Um, and one clever thing, which I haven't seen in too many other cars, only just the BMW in the most recent models, is that if you walk away from the car with the key, it automatically locks. You don't have to touch Yeah, that's it. good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's so when particularly coming home from the shops and you've got a ton of stuff in your hands, that just makes it so much easier. You just wait and hear for the beep. So uh, if you lock the car with the with the key, it won't, like you can set it that you don't have to worry about getting audible feedback or anything. You can just, yep, it flashes the lights and it's, and it's locked. But if you walk away from the car with the key in your pocket, when it locks, it will do a loud beep to tell you that the car is Yeah, so it's just those well. little clever things that if you are walking away, you can just listen out for the beep to go, yep, it's definitely locked um, when you didn't have to touch it. So I think those little clever things, I think the new styling looks great. Um, and, yeah, so I think they've, they've done a quite, good, quite a good job. That's handy, that beep, because it, whenever I'm like 20 metres away from the car, my wife always says, did you lock the car? Yeah. So yeah. I won't have to answer anymore. Nah, you can just exactly listen for the beep. Right. It's all right. We're done. Yeah. Yep. So now I um, handed that back and uh, picked up the X-Trail Entrex. So it's kind of – it's it sits a little bit lower in terms of price compared to the Colios, but it's obviously been a, been a Nissan X-Trail. It is the – you know, it's the – the sibling of the the Colios from Renault, um, so it shares the same engine, but this is just in a purely um, two wheel drive option. You don't have as many because it's similar to that STL type spec, so that mid spec. Um, it yeah. doesn't have all of the electronic features that you do get in the like the TI or that next higher level. So there's no powered tailgate. Um, the you can't just walk away with the key in your pocket and and wait for it to lock or have the mirrors <laughs> fold in. The mirrors don't automatically fold in, which is kind of again one of those things that you really grow to appreciate, particularly if you are, you know, car parks seem to get, they feel like they're getting narrower and narrower. So folding in the mirrors just seems to make a lot of sense with that. Um, but How many times did you um, fold the mirrors in waiting for them to be automatic? You know, like you push the button down there for the no. selector, <laughs> hoping <laughs> that it's going to make them lock, but it just makes them fold in while you're driving. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Um <laughs> And it feels like, man, that I'm sure other people on the road are going, what the hell is that guy doing? Um, yep. But it, it's kind of funny. 
I haven't looked at the, the on paper weight, but the same engine feels a lot snappier in that two wheel drive configuration compared to the automatic four wheel drive switching system in the Colios. It just feels a lot more nimble. It just it feels like it accelerates a lot a lot quicker, um, which yeah, isn't obviously yeah. going to be the, yeah. the you know the. Yeah, the the deal breaker for a lot of people buying this car, um, but I don't, a lot of the things you know, and and I'm hanging out for the new X Trail. We've we've spoken about it. We've touched on it a few times with the updated. We'll be here at some point, you know, before the end of the year or even early next year, which we'll see a lot of these sort of my my main niggles with the current X-Trail solved, like an updated infotainment system, just a couple of electronic features that I think are really feeling long and tooth now. And we talked about it with Nissan in general, I think, a lot for the last few weeks. Um, but it's just one of those things. I think the overall design, I think whoever spec'd this particular press car um, felt like they really wanted to highlight the the genuine accessories list on on the Entrek. Uh, so I've got the bonnet <laughs> yeah. protector. I've got the got wing the, guards, um, yeah. the shielding, on which I haven't seen on a car and probably you know since I was a kid growing up when that was a real big trend. Um, yeah. So it's really, I guess it's a good way to look at, you know, how some of those features are still relevant today and revisiting, you know, do you really need those rain? I, I'm not even sure what, you, what people called them, but yeah, just like the wind guard, the, the rain deflector kind of thing on the doors. Um, so because I, Were you I, excited I to have that, your flat bottom steering wheel back? Yes, I was actually. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I hit my leg on the Colios compared to the X-Trail just because of that. And it's not even, you know, it's not like we're talking a drastically different steering wheel shape. You're probably saving only a couple of centimetres by having a flat bottom steering wheel. But just particularly if yeah. you're a taller person, just getting your legs in and out just makes such a huge difference. Um, but one thing which I did note, and I think it, this is where the design really diverges and in, in how each brand have sort of tailored this platform into their own vehicle is for me in the back seats, the passenger seats, because the seats in the extra are really, really short the, in terms of it comes up to about halfway on my thigh, which feels like it just, it feels like you're sitting on the edge rather than sitting back into a seat. And um, right. it, it's not, I just felt like there was a lot of movement. I was moving all about the cabin when I got um, somebody else to drive just because, unfortunately, when, when you're reviewing a press car, you spend 99% of the time in the driver's seat and you don't really get much of a chance to, to sit in a passenger seat yourself. And you rely on the feedback from other people that you, you know, bring into the car and, and get their feedback on. Um, but having jumped into both the Colios and the X-Trail, I, I found the Colios rear seats so much more comfortable, particularly for an adult compared to a, a kid. I think a kid would have no problem, a younger a younger child having, which doesn't need a, a child seat or anything, would have, a, I think we'll find it perfectly comfortable and have nothing really to, to complain about sitting in these back seats of the X-Trail. But if you're constantly ferrying adults around, I think um, your back passengers would might not feel as comfortable as they could in a in another similar sized um, SUV. Yeah, but um, it's funny though, isn't it? it the the um the X Trail mm. 
because I wasn't a fan of the X Trails like the the previous like when they first came out, they were supposed to be like the off roady type version. They weren't too bad. They seemed fairly durable. I didn't really like this generation X Trail when it first came out. Yeah, but now every time I get in one and I find something I don't like, something else that I like pops up mm. just to make me forget about it. Yeah. Like when that N track, the Bose stereo makes me forget yes. about most other concerns in that car yeah. <laughs> because the stereo is so good. Um, simple man. Yeah. I, um, there's a, it's probably shows my age a little bit, but I've been um, getting into, uh, I made the mistake of downloading TikTok. And um, the best thing is you, there's a lot of really good songs that you wouldn't discover any other way. And um, so I usually find those, add it to like a, a, a YouTube music playlist and then throw them on. And they all seem to be very bass heavy. Um, obviously, you know, being that type of genre of, you know, dance style remix music. And um, yeah, I'd have to agree that the, the bass coming out of the car this afternoon was pretty good like it's it's yeah. just one of those ones where you feel like it kind of and it fits that youthful angle which the x-trail goes for particularly the end track i think just having a sound system was a very clever move um by the the product manager and you know those developing that product line um to go well yep. if we want to aim for that younger family audience or younger couple you know a good sound system is important and um it's kind of one of those things particularly in law you know in in cheaper models it's something that a lot of people you know it's kind of like uh what is it just to quote kenny you know if you're having a festival on for people the last thing people think of are the toilets and i think sometimes for car design sound systems can be you know one of those things that people go ah it's not really that important in a when we're trying to save some money on a car but you know it's all about you know that experience you create for your customer the driver the owner um and and what they deem important and for your demographic of which that car you hope you know hope to appeal to you know one of the times that i've actually seen a salesman refer to a stereo in a in a a cheap car yeah um was when i test drove a holden viva when they first came out (laughs) and i was saying how loud it was and he was trying to turn the stereo up but the security cable wasn't put in he goes because when you're driving you normally have the stereo up so you just turn it up because i'm saying this thing is loud as hell man it's it's vibrate, you know, a lot of really loud vibrations. He goes, let's just turn the stereo up. Oh, it hasn't got the code in it. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> that was it. But the you other know, one you've too. Got a good sound system with good bass when you can't see out of the rear view mirror very clearly because it's shaking. That's right. That that's the uh, that's the um, that's the ASX at the moment. The top. What's the top? That's Exceed as well, isn't it? Yeah. It's got a eight inch Rockford Fosgate boombox in the back. <laughs> it's massive isn't it? somehow because they had that similar um it probably even is the same same sound system when they had the lancer the vxr that was like the key selling point for that vehicle and um Rocket i remember i got Fosco. one of those as a, as a drive car and um I couldn't care about anything else about that car. Leather seats had it, you know, the it was kind of like the the poor man's rally art. Um and uh oh man, that sound system was king. It was great. You know, and being twenty-two or whatever at that time, you know, you couldn't think of anything better apart from having a, a really big subwoofer that fills up part of your boot. Um so yep. yeah, it was good. But should we look at uh, should, so the the May uh, vehicle sales 
stats have come out over the last week. Um, yeah. Some interesting uh, interesting moves um, in the top 10 in particular. Um, we thought having Uber as part of the top 10 um, most trusted <laughs> automotive I don't brand. see them in the figures anywhere. I can't see them anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, look, you know, I, again, the, you know, the bamboozlement continues. Um, but what even makes it quite interesting is that Toyota have absolutely dominated the sales figures. That oh. probably doesn't really surprise anyone um, except for just like the, if there was a, if this was a, a, um, a football game, this would be, we're coming into the third quarter and Toyota have already got a 50 point lead. Um, it's kind of like Broncos game. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's this is how it is because out of the top ten, you've got the the Toyota Hilux, Ford Ranger, Toyota Rev Four, Toyota Corolla, the Mazda CX Five, Toyota Prado, the Toyota Land Cruiser Wagon at uh, number seven. Twelve hundred and sixty. Yeah, that's amazing. It beat the Hyundai i thirty, the Mazda three, the Hyundai Tucson. And then sneaking in at 11, because why not? Um, the Isuzu D-Max even sold over a 1,000 units. So It's pretty impressive for the D-Max. Yeah. Yep. So, this, it's, this, so there's so many interesting things to pack in. So one, how many of the vehicles Toyota actually sold and how how much they dominated the, the top 10. But also the... The mix of vehicles. So the Hilux and the Ranger, not really a surprise. It's kind of been the, the ongoing story for, you know, as long as anyone can remember. Um, but the Land Cruiser wagon, because also they've separated the Land Cruiser cab chassis as well. So they sold 872 of those. Um, so is this, you know, and even with the Isuzu D-Max, is this... You know that that asset write-off coming in and really showing its own, or, or like what is because a little bit further down in the top twenty-five, we've got the Toyota Highest, the Mazda BT fifty. Um, like even the highest, I sold nearly eight hundred of those. Um, even the Colorado sold eight hundred and fifty-five. Um, so this purely, this must be obviously as we go into now June, end of financial year, um, businesses, are, regardless of you know the COVID nineteen and coronavirus, um, businesses are looking to refresh fleets or update vehicles um, and taking advantage of some of the tax advantages. Um, but yeah, it's and so they unfortunately I can't see on the list they just say the wagon so i'm assuming this is the 70 series or is this a 200 series land cruiser for the for the top 10 doesn't quite say but i i guess the like you say we've got the asset write-off um consideration or the, or the benefit there yeah. and you remember obviously we're coming at the end of the financial year as well and that a lot of people have already had a massive downturn in work so you know, there's for a lot of people, there will be an opportunity to drop down another tax bracket based on these um, asset write-offs for the for the single um, for the single trial for the sole traders and the like. But even as business fleets as well, this this is a good time to get your um, earned value for the last twelve year, twelve months as absolutely low as possible because there's you know not much money coming in. If you've already have to come up to the point where you need to replace your fleets anyway, is 
the instant asset write-off is obviously a, a big factor here and it's been very mm. handy. I think I think one of the other – actually, I didn't mention this to you guys before. Um, I was at a dealer on the weekend and I just, you know, casually asked um, how they've been going, you know, have they been, been busy and the like. And they've said they've been absolutely run off their feet in the last two weeks. Mm. And, I, and she's, uh, they said that – one of the things they noticed is people have been using the $10,000 deduction from super to come in and buy cars. Right. Interesting. Yeah, wow. contribute to their purchasing point. But that's, I mean, it's a pretty interesting financial choice if you ask me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> buying, buying a depreciating asset to reduce your pension in yeah. 30 years time is not mm. the, not, not the soundest well. financial advice. You know what I mean? Um, but I'm sure they were all doing it for responsible, in responsible manners to be able to create a fleet so they can earn money to be able to improve on their super contributions. <clears throat> Probably. <laughs> Probably <laughs> not. Right. But yeah, like you say, you know, everything there, Toyota, they've gone mm. absolutely crazy. 24% market share out of, uh, I think, what, I think Mazda were next and they had 9%. Yeah. So absolutely just demolished everybody. I think someone, what do they say? You can add the top, the next three, so second, third, and fourth together, mm. and they still don't match the total of Toyota. Yeah. So what's um, – and it even – so Ram, again, um, I think that's another really good – I, I love seeing you know more and more of these on the road, but they even sold 333 um, yep. during May. Again, almost punch for punch with uh, with Jeep. Um, so they Jeep sold 341, but that but ran themselves this year are up 31 percent compared to last year. Um, so it's, it's really interesting just to see the the different. Just well, the, the different things that people are buying. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I, I remember we we talked about the the capability of the Rams, and you know, um, I think last week or the week before we were talking about it. I mean, they do have the capability to tow more. Yeah. But the window for tow capacity for the other smaller trucks is still quite high. But mm. it's, I'm just amazed that there's what maybe twenty eight to thirty million dollars worth of cash was blown last week on a vehicle that maybe they just bought it because they thought it was a cooler truck. Yeah. <laughs> which, well, which is me, amazing. That's the primary thing. It's going, who cares how much it tows is a cool thing. Yeah. Um, well, there's, there's a, um, there's a dealer down the road from me that sells Rams. Yeah. And I was down there. Um, I was getting a coffee at the shop next door and I was watching a guy and his wife walking along the line. There was five or six Rams in a row, I think. Yeah deciding whether or not he liked the black one or the one that had the chrome on it. <laughs> I'm like, what's, I mean, I guess, I guess you're spending 85 or 100 grand. You, you want to get the one that you want the most. Yes. But this guy is just, I mean, he was, um, I can't remember if he had both songs or not, but he was just <laughs> like, he's just like, yeah, no, I think, I think the chrome one just looks a bit classier. I'm yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> but I mean, so, you know, people are buying this stuff because they – you know, pardon me because I'm very much a, a functional type person. I want things to do some specific thing. Mm. Um, 
you know, a lot of the car stuff has been directed away from just pure passionate response to things and emotional responses to products. But Ram have got both of those things. They've got that higher towing capacity. Plus there's an emotional thing when you look at them and go, you know what, that's a pretty tough looking truck. Yeah. Even for me, like, you know, I just, I don't like the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I don't think I'd ever buy one, I look at it and go, that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, every time I'm in a car with somebody else and they're like, oh, look, a Ram, because you see the big, fat, shining letters on the back of the tray. Um, yeah, but let's let's walk through some of the different um, segments because I find a few interesting um, things going on here. So in the, in the micro car, you've got the Fiat 500, Holden, Spark, even, you know, I don't know when the last time they sold one of those, um, the Kia Picanto and the Mitsubishi Mirage. So it's taking up 72% of that volume for May was the Kia Picanto. Um, so they sold 203. The next closest was the Mitsubishi Mirage at 42 and then the Fiat 500 at 37. Um, so it seems like Kia really stitched up that, that market, um, even though... Do. They themselves are down 42, you know, that particular car is down 42.8%. Um, so, something about the Picanto, they just, I, I, I've driven them. I, I like the, the GT I drove. Um, so, what's the 895cc um, turbo? Yeah, that's a great little car. Yeah, it was, it was a good too. car. It didn't really knock my socks off, but I mean, I weigh basically half the curb weight of the vehicle. So uh, <laughs> you're you going to need a GVM upgrade to be able to. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit of a squeeze for me, but I could see what, I can see what the attraction is. And one of the guys I work with, he's actually got a new Picanto as well. And he replaced it from the one he had before was the previous generation Picanto. He's just yeah. like, it's all I need, man. I just go to work. I need to get in the car and the, the stereo works and I'm comfortable and I feel safe. And that's, that's all I want. It's fuel efficient. Perfect, perfect little daily driver. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, he says that about the Kia Picanto, but then I look at the Mitsubishi Mirage and I'm like, well, is that not the same thing? Do you not get the same thing out of that? I don't know. I haven't driven the Mirage I, I personally. I think the design, but... though, I think if you, if you put them next to each other, I think the Kia is a lot more um, enticing in terms of the – and it probably it does... doesn't have the Mitsubishi Mirage kind of, you know, uh, I don't know. People have a, a loving memory of the Mirage versus the Picanto is probably a little bit fresher. It doesn't have as much of a, yeah. a well, history or anything like that. Then. That's the thing. Yeah, you, know, you got to think back to then Kia and Hyundai were probably and with the Excel and stuff like that. The Excel and yeah. the Mirage were yeah. those two cars that were probably the most popular for that and probably the Barina, you know, at around that time. Yeah, yep. that's wrong. But so, fortunately, I reckon out of that, that 203, probably 190 of them are the off-road version. <laughs> <laughs> is it the Picanto X? I'm not sure what it is, but it's supposed to be an SUV. I think it's raised 15 millimeters or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> but, but you know what? See it, one of those looks cool to too. Yeah. Have you seen it? <laughs> Yeah, it's great, and then, I mean, and then Kia do things like their AO edition every year as well. You know, yeah, yep. this great opportunity to buy something that's a little bit got a few more things added to it around the Australian Open, and they're always yep. a good little addition as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking at the light under, so there's two. The light segment is split into to t- under twenty five thousand and then over twenty five thousand because this is where some of the um, the European brands really come in with some of their models. But one interesting one, and I think that over the next couple of months we're going to see um, the MG 
perhaps steal the crown um, from Suzuki because the M the MG MG three um, sold three hundred and two units, where the Suzuki Swift, which is a great car in itself, um, sold three hundred and thirteen units. So um, I think, given the trend of the um, the MG, like even year to date, they're up ninety two point nine percent. So they're selling a lot of cars. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, they added think, a three. They added a seven-year warranty, didn't they? The MGs. Yeah, they've they've been really aggressive into, I guess, following in the in the lines of the other brands that have come before them. Um, by you know basically following very similar steps of putting out a, a relatively good product at a good price yeah. and then backing it up with servicing and warranty and good um, activations kind of, as well to take yeah. the take the product to the to customers as well. Absolutely. So I think it's it's really working for them. It's kind of when MG first arrived, we've spoken about it before. I was really kind of I was thinking it was going to be a bit of brands, you know, under similar circumstances come in, but they've really hit their stride. And I think um yeah, it's it's kind of been really cool to see another brand in in such a competitive market really making um you know making great inroads like they've they've completely um eclipsed the the kia rio which kind of for me was one of those main cars in that segment um but yeah i think the the swift is is hot on it you know it's got to keep an eye out because you know the the mg is coming for it um i think they're coming back the rio too though isn't it like it's coming up so the last gen yeah like I, I when this generation came out the shape and the size is really good mm. but they still had the four speed auto which was absolutely hobbling it it's only yeah. running a 1.4 yeah. normally astro normally aspirated motor yeah. but once they got to the six speed auto that made the 1.4 you know breathe a lot easier it runs a lot better still not yeah. super fast or anything but um I always thought they could go back to the so the previous generation they had the Kia Rio Sport and I can't remember what the other one was um, where you could get the 1.6 direct injected motor which was a really good motor I always thought oh, they could put yeah, that back that was in like there. a rocket ship of a car yeah that was a really nice little car yeah. I mean now the the GT Kia Rio is the the same motor you get in yeah. the Picanto so the 895 mm-hmm. Um, turbo, which is good with a little DCT in it. That that seems to perform quite nicely. Mm. But yeah, I think they're sort of coming up a bit now they've added that six-speed auto, but yeah, MG is throwing everything at this market, yeah. trying to get their little yeah. their little niche in there. And, I haven't seen a Suzuki really Swift ad for a while. Because Toyota has really um, like, they used to have a really big presence in this, but the Yaris is, you know, only at when six market share, they only sold 150 cars. There's a new cars. one coming the Yaris. That's the thing. So. Yeah, so there's a new Yaris coming because it's going to be tired. Even the Swift, I think, will see a bit of a boost in its sales numbers because um, for Australia, they've just confirmed that the updated model is coming, the life cycle updated. Uh, life cycle update, sorry. And um, and I know that in Queensland, the updated vehicle is here already. It was about to go on sale. I've, I'm booked in um, for the updated Swift so Swift turbo sport um so that should be a lot of fun the turbo the the sport alone sorry is a is an absolute hoot but um 
Yeah, so I think that will probably boost its sales a little bit or at least, you know, as they start to go through run out and then as the new model comes, that will give a nice little boost. So it'll be interesting. I think it's going to be a hotly contested little area. Oh, um, like Joel was saying with the Yaris, though, batting down the hatches. But yeah. Yeah. But Toyota are going to come out. Later this year, I'm pretty sure, the new Yaris. Yep. All WRC fans, Rallycross fans, they'll be yeah. going nuts. And it's going to be a, it's going to be a very fast car. Which yes. they need because I remember I I reviewed the last Yaris and I was videoing myself driving through Melbourne in peak hour, yeah. trying to say some positive things about it, and I just stopped and went, you know what, this is just not my type of car. <laughs> Waste of time. Yeah. It was not. It was just dreary and slow. Yeah. The cabin was nice enough, but you know I could have been sitting in a cabin. I would have been just as happy. Yeah. Was, that, was, that was the practicalities of yeah. it. They're, they're just I don't know. I get I don't I don't get all city cars, but I mean the Kia Rio, despite its fairly slow one point four, was is an okay city car. I don't mind stuff like that, but yeah. Oh, it was gee, it was boring. Mm-hmm. Well, even in the over the twenty over twenty five thousand dollar market, so out of five vehicles listed, only three sold vehicles. Citroen C three only sold four. Only thirty six Audi A ones, and with one hundred and eleven units, the Mini um, sold. You know, took up seventy three point five percent of that market. What's crazy about that is the C three is the third best in the segment, and it got four. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> how? I don't even understand how that works. Yeah. You got to look at though, there's that, back, how like... many different mini alternates are there now? There's so many different options. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, hang on. Just to confirm that I'm right when I say that. Yeah. Like that, that mini hatch segment, there are so many different versions now because mm, that yeah. countrymen mm. and all that as well. Yeah. So there's they've, a, there's a and board, they've board. done they've done a really good job at carving out that part of the market with uh, like I will see them everywhere of different ages um, and different generations. But I, uh, one of my good friends owns one, and I always had to poke fun at him, particularly when he had just bought it, because I go, "Oh, there's one that looks exactly like yours. Oh, there's another one that ex- looks exactly like yours. Oh, there's another one. There's another one. There's another one." Like it was, um, he, he had a little bit of buyer's remorse for a little while, I, and I certainly didn't help him with that. But he, because you he were abusing, that. yeah. That's it, yeah. Um, but I, he's held on to that car now longer than any other car that he's owned in his life. And he and yeah. he's wants to get a new car, but he's really struggling because everything that he looks at goes, oh, but I'm perfectly happy with what I've got. Um, and he's finding it really yeah. hard to find a good excuse to move it on. And, you know, and so I think it really highlights that um, as much as what the BMW brand is doing with some of their other models. They've really that that group that is looking after the mini brand is doing I think a really good job. It's, um, it's got to be cheating though, isn't it? Any mini over fourteen hundred kilos should not be called a mini. It must be called a maxi <laughs> or something. Even fourteen hundred kilos. That's a yeah. pretty heavy mini. Yeah. yeah. But look, so much they've fun. done a, they've done a good job. Um, with that, but let's touch on a couple of other ones quickly before we can move on to some of the other um, news. The 
what is it the the Toyota Corolla, of course, um, absolutely smashed the the small under forty thousand um, dollar market. The next closest was the Hyundai i thirty with eleven hundred and ninety one units, um, and then it was the Mazda three. Kind of, I don't think really surprises anyone at all. Um, Volkswagen Golf sales were only down at seven hundred and forty two, um, which you know tell that to someone from Volkswagen a few years ago and I don't think they'd believe you um, where it sits in the market compared to some of the others Um, and then if we jump up into the over 40,000 BMW really I don't know they're kind of cheating in a way that they've got so many models in that's under $40,000 mark more than Audi more than Mercedes Um, so they've got the 1 Series the 2 Series 2 Series Grand Coupe and then the i3 um and uh, but funnily enough, the biggest yeah. seller was the A class. <laughs> they've got that, um, you know, they've got a little bit of advantage at the moment where A class, they've got the new generation come out, new sedans just come out. They've got a few refresh things on a theme that's already been running, whereas the BMW yeah. one is now the next version of the one. You know, they've gone from the rear wheel drive to the front wheel drive. It's you know, it's a little bit of a change as far as what customer expectations are. So obviously, and we'll touch, the BMW um, people are taking steps back from it. Yeah, and we'll probably see even more yeah. steps backwards as we touch on some of the other news um, once we get through it, which probably, well, I don't think it's going to, in this market anyway, it's definitely not going to help one serious sales numbers. Um, no, but we shouldn't discredit the, the capability of the A-class either. It's, no, no, the, the new generation is quite striking. Yeah, yeah, and even the the tech offering, um, I think it's it's caused a lot of other brands to rethink what uh, what they're offering in that space because I don't think anything really quite gets as close um, when Mercedes unveiled the A class as to you know the level of technology because it was by you know by rights it was a pretty much a fairly close equivalent to what you'd see in the C class, the E class, and even the S class in terms of the the tech that was available. And uh, we hadn't really mm. seen anything like that up until that point. So, you know, kudos to them. Uh, and I guess the, the advantage is it is mostly technology, so it's quite easy to um, translate across rather than you know engineering a, a hard piece of hardware or um you know yeah, developing right. an engine the technology the scale you, know, you you gain a lot from economies of scale when it is a when you're using the same screens across every car in your lineup compared to you know developing a specific engine so that's that's where they can you know that's the advantages of what technology is offering compared to other um other places where they can innovate in that model lineup Yep. Um, a guy that I work with who's gone from a S class to a he had an X uh, whatever it was it was an M40 uh, BMW X3 yeah. and then he got bored of gears so he went back to a Model 3 and then when the press photos came out of the new A45 mm. he basically come tap dancing into my office like oh look at these new pictures of the interior and how fancy it looks and <laughs> he was like he was really excited like a little school kid he's yeah. like oh look at these I think I can, yeah. I'm ready to accept gears again you know what yeah. I mean he was just um, it's yeah they've done a great job on the on the update so yeah. or the new, new generation but yeah. yeah. So, really, I think um, the I think we when before we started recording, so Carnival had another really good month. So they had fifty 
of the people mover um, segment, which is huge. Like that's, I don't know how. When when if you're car breaking, probably going. That's uh, why bother. That's, yeah, uh, that's I'm, not, a... I'm not even going to step into that. No. You know, I'm, I'm waiting for where did the Tarago go? Where it's gone? Mm. Like, did they just decide it's it's over? Because um, I mean, that's essentially the carnival only yeah, really yeah. turned up when the Tarago. I mean, the Tarago disappeared when the carnival turned up. I should say yeah. it was the other way around. Well, well, the Tarago we really had it for that market for a while too. Yeah, yeah. They did. They they owned it, but I mean, they they got really expensive too. So I think the V six, yeah. one of those was about seventy four grand, but that was like ten years ago. So and the IMAX, um, they were really, really stuck in the money out of it. The IMAX has gone for a slightly different, more of an entry level, very basic. I think um, compared to the Carnival, now feels like it's it's fitting into a that pseudo premium feeling spec like we, we've every time we've driven a carnival we've always come out of it going this is a really nice car to drive not just for the passengers but you know for yep. for the driver as well um which you know i i think nobody else has really been able to get exactly right like even we drove the the grand Vier and and Mind you, that was the entry level car. That wasn't the, you know, the up spec, yep. full on leather displays and all that kind of thing. Um, but even if you sat those two next to get next to each other and, and asked the family to decide, I think they'd go the the carnival, regardless of the, you know, forgetting the yep. value proposition, because of just the, the the passenger comfort, the practicality of for luggage and everything like that. Um, you know, that's. Yep. Yeah, it's good. So the, the other competitor there, though, so the Honda Odyssey. Have, have you guys had a play in an Odyssey? So they're still, aren't they, one point five turbo or something? Yeah, I think the car is getting quite old now. It's really kind yeah. of due for an update. Like it still looks as good as it, you know, when it first came out. I still think it. It doesn't look old when you see one on the road. I think no, it's just def- that, definitely no. Current. And they've got nice colours. There's a really nice yeah, blue that they yeah. do in it as well. Um, and, and it dry, dries really well, but the yeah. seat, the seat setup is what I can't get over. It's yeah. just so well thought out in terms of what they've done with the the orientation and and everything with it in terms of way they've designed the capstan chairs and all that sort of stuff. It's it's pretty impressive. So it's I find Honda is one of those brands. Two point four liter IVT slightly gets overlooked by a lot of people because it doesn't really grab you the same way some other brands do. Um, But when it comes to ergonomics, every time I've driven a Honda, I'm constantly blown away by the little things that they've done to make the, you know, the driving experience a lot less stressful, a lot more comfortable. Like even, you know, the thing, a feature they've had for years now is the camera. Every time you turn on the indicator to go left, it gives you a lane view from a camera mounted on the left mirror so you can see if there's anything in that lane. And it's just a feature that they've had as standard for, for so long now. Right. And when you finally use it, you go, oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, like that's... Yeah, it's a great idea. Not, 
just give me a view of the you know and and it's quite amazing it, it it's just very well thought out um but i just think i i don't know very many people when they've been looking for a car that honda has been on their shopping list um outside of you know a type r or anything like that um yeah so it's it's kind of one of those ones which i think we could probably build a really long list of cars that we which are really good but we wish people would buy more of um and i'm because i think uh, yeah. that list is going to be way too long <clears throat> compared to you know there are some peculiar things of what people buy um and and doesn't make a lot of sense like even you could say the the amg gt four door now i don't know why the four people who bought one last month why they bought one because i think it's an ugly car and why wouldn't you buy a, an NS class or, a, or anything like that that fits kind of like that same bill um yeah so there's there's a few cars out there that don't really make a lot of sense to why people are buying but at the same time <laughs> you know it's uh yeah, it's one of those things, I don't know, it's just one of the things sometimes it's a, it's a shame that there are some really good cars that we don't get renewed here in Australia because the market just doesn't, you know, either A, doesn't get it, doesn't, or doesn't even, you know, it never yeah, appears on the shopping ball. list. Yeah. No. Um, and, you know, I could list a whole bunch of cars off on that. But, yeah, it's, it's always interesting when these sales figures come out. Um, we say it all the time just to give it a better view of... Um, you know what the market does like it's very interesting in suvs that um hybrid and electric are, are slowly gaining um on the number of diesels being sold like forget petrol you know if we look at these figures we've got in front of us that get sent out and we and we ignore petrol on its own but even in passenger vehicles so there were 64 diesels sold this month 34 electric and plug-in hybrids 625 hybrids so diesel there's no point selling a, a private diesel car anymore so sorry volkswagen there's no point um and then even if you look at suv so 2610 diesels were sold but 75 electric and plug-in hybrids and one just over 1000 hybrids were sold um so it's very interesting just to see that slow growth figure for electric and and plug-in hybrids particularly in those key areas which obviously you know do sell a huge amount of volume Yep, good riddance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hybrid, hybrid is all the rage. That petrol electric hybrid is, um, you know, is growing and more and more people are moving into that space because it helps with your fuel economy numbers. And so I think that's what we're going to see more of. And, yeah, diesel is effectively a, almost a dirty word in some aspects now. So <laughs> that's why the, the hybrid, I think, has grown so much. Yeah. And look, you know... What it's like, I mean, I, I understand... Yeah, I understand the need for diesels. Obviously, they're they're useful for torque and towing and pulling stuff, and even like pulling loads and all that sort of thing. But when you look at the practical application of SUVs and medium SUV type things, it's all driving around schools and towns and cities and stuff. The more of those um, EVs and hybrids that you can have, mm-hmm. you know, it's less it's less fumes for when you like when I do the school run. 
it was like Karachi the other day. It was just like cars everywhere. Someone was like, didn't want to wait in the lane where everybody was waiting to go to the school. They wanted to go in the wrong way down the wrong lane to go further up four driveways so they could turn around and park backwards closer to the school so someone else could walk out. There was people coming from the top of the hill from the other side that were getting caught behind the line waiting to go into the school. So they were going on the wrong side of the road around in front of other people it was absolute just chaos and then when you add kids into that walking to and from school as well all these cars are just sitting there just chugging out the fumes yeah. um diesels are the worst for tailpipe emissions um nox levels and all that sort of thing are, are really terrible with diesel so if cars are just sitting there doing nothing i mean stop start is half your half your solution but mm. Um, EVs, particularly like you know the Rav Four and the and the Corolla, way those EVs work, it's 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 a great solution for air quality around highly dense, densely populated areas. It's absolutely seems like the ideal solution to me for for the right car. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's the right solution. So and Subaru is moving into that space now with the new hybrid XV and the hybrid Forester. Yeah. So yeah. you know another another brand yeah. that. that has done well with or has sold diesels in the past, now moving into that petrol hybrid. Yeah, and the, the only yeah, and thing finally applying it schools, to the SUV space. Yeah, the only yeah, thing exactly. I have to be careful of is uh, adding like a, 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 you know, was it a pedestrian warning system? Because with kids, if they don't hear the car... Oh, half, who was half, that the other day? Half the time they don't see them, even if they do make noise. So having a silent, silent assassin as a you know hybrid or electric car. That's I guess that's the next um, you know bit of safety we have to get through. I know that Hyundai have the the spaceship sound moving um, slowly, um, but they almost need a, a, a favorite feature that I that was on the Vault, the Holden Vault was the pedestrian horn. So not every time you're going to want to hit the normal, you know, big loud um, horn that's on the middle of your steering wheel. Sometimes you just want to give a little toot just to, you know, very, you don't want to give, like I've, I had a, I was at Tawong Shopping Village not too long ago and um, there was an older gentleman just, just walked out in front of me, didn't hear the car, didn't see the car or anything, but I just, slowly had to crawl behind him and just wait for him to get out of the way because I didn't want to hit the horn and scare the crap out of him. Um, because I didn't have like a, then, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. wouldn't want it that That's like degree, the guy, yeah. either by hitting him or <laughs> by hitting the horn. So that it, it would have been great just to have a little like, hey, I'm here, don't, you know, don't miss me kind of thing um, that is like an intermediary step between, you know, trying to, you know, like just tap, very quickly the the horn just to give you know the slightest noise um but yeah so that's uh yeah let's think but it's probably a good segue into next bit of news one that i think a lot of car people are really excited about um is the the launch of the and and we because there's a whole heap of stuff we can talk about the electric car. So one, um, I think is sort of touching on. Uh, I think you just linked in, Mick the the Hans Zimmer doing the the soundtrack for the yeah. the i four for BMW. Um, yeah, so I heard look, this on the um, on the radio the other day. Yeah. Yeah. So it it this is this is kind of like 
the interesting challenges that brands are facing now when it comes to car design isn't just like if you look at any of the design videos that um that car companies release they'll they'll have you know they'll talk about the big design effort that goes into what does the car door sound like the click of the sound you know of the of the the seat belt what does that make you know does it match the kind of experience you're trying to sell in a car like they'd love to talk about how you know how much effort goes into that but the next thing which i'm sure a lot of comp companies had to add to the list of already huge is talking about well what does the sound of car you know what car make in terms of sound when it doesn't make any sound on its own um so yeah. Hans Zimmer the you might know him from um ah oh, the, the name of Gladiator movie. yeah um yeah, soundtrack Man of Gladiator, Steel yeah. Batman vs <laughs> Superman um yeah Pirates of the Caribbean Sherlock Holmes like him, John Williams, Howard Shaw. There's, you know, there's only a handful of, um, of uh, composers, you know, that you know for making movie soundtracks. But um, yeah. So what's interesting? So he apparently worked with BMW to to work on. Well, what does the sound of the incoming i4 sound like? So it's a it's a really interesting article. It's on the New York Times. Um, only came out just last couple oh, in April. Um, and talks about you know what that you know sort of how do you approach something like that um yeah and he says look don't expect to be a race car noise um but given that you know that the eu has mandated that electric cars you know have to sound similar to cars with combustion engines at speeds of below 20 kilometers an hour um you know that's that's a pretty interesting problem to have to try and solve yeah, I listened. I listened to the interview with this guy um, with Hans Zimmer. I think it was on BBC World or something. Just happened to to come across it, and it was really interesting the way he was talking about sound. So you know, it's it's basically the same freedom that you get with the sound as what engineers now have with designing EV cars because you don't have mm. to worry about where you're putting your gearbox and your engine and all that sort of stuff. You're a lot yeah. freer now because you can put an electric motor somewhere. You can make the sides swap from one side to another left-hand drive, right-hand drive. doesn't really make that much of a difference. Um, but the same thing with this sound, the soundtrack for a car, you're not constrained by the mechanical noise that comes out of the car as a matter of necessity. You know, yeah. and the whole role of an exhaust is to make that mechanical sound become more um, attractive. You don't have to worry about that anymore. You can make the car sound like anything you want, because mm. obviously all you need is like a um, you know a, a high definition audio output. You can make anything you like. And he was talking about things like you know when you go outside and you you come to your car to to get into it, it can greet you with a noise. You know, like it can make some nice you know, I don't know, like an iPhone flourishy alarm noise or a rainforest or whatever. You can make any environment you like be generated by the car and you can even get the car, you know, based on information that's gathered or the season of the year or anything like that or the start of a new week can give you a different noise. You can program all that sort of stuff into it. So, you know, it's a whole new canvas that you can work on. So I'll be really interested to see what sort of noise or soundtrack he comes up with for the for the I4. And it should be I'm expecting something spectacular. Hopefully yeah. it's not as 
simple as when you get a greeting when you get in the car and press the start button and they have that little you know hi welcome to the car <laughs> so, yeah, I, I want hop, some yeah <laughs> when you yeah, into I want elevator, some big yeah. flourish <laughs> yep I want some fanfare I want, I want it to sound like people are you know like a <clears throat> like the greeting for a king or something you know just yeah. da, 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 like oh mix here woo you know everyone's <laughs> applause would be good I'd be happy is, with applause. Is this is this one of these things where is this how dealers now start to build in margin by going well? So which which startup sound would you like, and and which um, idling sound would <laughs> yeah, you like? We right. have the basics that you know, premium and you know, ultimate sound. <laughs> it's like each one a thousand dollars depending on the brand. <laughs> That's yeah, it's an extra five hundred dollars for an AI to just compliment you for the entire day. <laughs> that was a right. nice corner. Well done. Good driving. Next thing you get Clarkson doing it, right? <laughs> With your Amazon Prime account, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I did talk, I, I, I did think about this a while ago too, where they moved to the, like when the MyLink first came out. I'm surprised they haven't had like Nike backgrounds or you know, partners with um, other companies to be able to even like competitions where you could win a particular theme or whatever that goes with your oh, car to change the way the market works. Don't any ideas because next thing they'll be selling ads on our infotainment system. Before you start up, oh, yeah. you go, hey, would you like to save 15% on your car insurance? Like, <laughs> it's, well, 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 let us, I don't, let I don't us know why you don't pull up it now whilst you drive to work. <laughs> yeah. You know, push notifications when you pull up next to Macca's and you're like in the right lane to turn left. Oh, yeah. you know, it's 50 cents off your cheeseburger to pull in and buy one now. It's, well, I don't know. It's going to happen. Do any of you use Waze at all? Not really, yeah. no. Yeah. So if you... I, I used it once, but yeah, that was it. Yeah, so if you use it like in a in a, um, a car mount, so you have the screen on your phone turned on, this is the... I... I hated it, and I didn't know who to direct my angry, ang- you know, my carefully worded. <laughs> Your old letter man to. letter too. Yep. Yeah, because <laughs> what it would do is that if I say I'm traveling from home to the city, it would pop up every time I stop at a tra- pair of traffic lights. Go, hey, there's a Woolies just, you know. 200 meters off your destination, you know, on your route. Would you like to add a stop and go there? And I was like, "Uh, no. Um, And uh, from a company, like, I don't know why Woolies would bother paying for that either because most people kind of know where Woolies is and they, you know, they most people know where their local one is. I don't think it's something that people really need to schedule, you know, add onto their route. Um, but it was just, it was like immediately an invade. It felt like an invasion of privacy, and I was just like, "Hang on, you're you're taking up valuable real estate on my screen, and you're making me read something that is not relevant to what I'm doing, and I'm driving, yeah. and you want to feed me an ad? Like I just, it it rubbed me in so many of the wrong ways. It just made me. God, it just made me angry. Um, oh yeah, and, and it I was get like, frustrated uh, enough about billboards that change. Yeah, like you so, know the ones that have two or three different cycles. Yeah, yeah. So that's like you know that was like enough of the thing to go. No, I think I'll just uh, either stick to using it in in 
our play where Apple gatekeeps how that experience works. So the chances of getting ads thrown up on that experience is going to be next to none because that's not what Apple wants to have, you know, have to deal with in terms of a regulatory type situation um, or just not use it at all because it was just like, no, thanks. I, I don't want ads like that. Thank you. Particularly when I'm driving, so it's not helpful for me. So you didn't figure out how to make it shut up. You just no, I, you, you can't do it. You or have set it to either touch there, an right. X to close it, or start driving again. And I wouldn't, you know, I'd rather <laughs> as much yeah, as it that. made me want to. I'm not going to drive through a red light just to get rid of an ad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but in terms of keeping on um, the electric car kind of uh, line, I think a lot of True car enthusiasts are probably, particularly ones that have been unsure about electric cars, probably just have got their first bit of glee happening because we're going to start seeing the Porsche Taycan, which is their all-electric car here on roads in Australia very soon. And what probably surprised a lot of people is the pricing. So there's three models available from launch for the Porsche Taycan. You, there's the take the Taycan, Taycan, I don't know how you how Porsche would like you to pronounce it, but we'll just let you stumble over it because I haven't got the answers. So I'll just I'll just I'll just say the variants: the 4S, the Turbo, and then the Turbo S. And the 4S, which is the entry level, starts at one hundred ninety one thousand before your on roads, and it's a smidge faster than the nine eleven, but it's also cheaper than the entry level nine eleven. And that's like forty thousand dollars. So good. It does. Don't you reckon? It's just like I've seen plenty. All the promo shots have all been white, but yeah. seeing them in the dark colors. Yeah, that dark color is really nice. Good looking car. Yeah. So, what they're saying as well is that um, all. Let me just bring it up again. Um, what was it? It was talking about, yeah, so half of all customers that are, that are buying this are new to. Porsche itself, but many are existing EV owners. And I know that Porsche have said in the past that for America in particular, that the number one car that was being traded in for their electric car was the Tesla Model S, um, which I think probably says a lot for A, electric cars, but also B, for brand loyalty and brand trust and recognition. Um, I know that we just spoke about last week that Tesla is, I think it was number three or something like that in that top 10 list. But among sort of like car people or people wanting to buy a car, you know, that is starting at $200,000. Buying an electric Porsche obviously feels like the, the... I don't know, the, the easier decision to make, the the one, because it's not like a Model S is much cheaper. Like you can spend $200,000 on a Model S very easily. Yeah. Um, but it seems like the Model S was the interim step until something, you know, from another brand came in and, and, and showed that, yes, they can do it with a, uh, with a higher qual- quality interior, more premium interior, a brand that has, you know, great re- a great reliability history um, and obviously pedigree, I guess, is one of those things as well. Oh, um, phenomenal history. Yeah, and in terms of, you know, Porsche 
is kind of one of those brands which doesn't really get into much controversy about their claims or figures or anything like that because normally they far exceed it. Like I remember there was a great test done in the US by one of the the mags out there where they did a, I think it was, I think they were trying to do like a hundred launch controls in a, in a 911 um, just to see what performance degradation there would be over, you know, such a large number of tests. And they found that basically the variance was within the margin of error um, for the acceleration time and everything like that, and it threw no, it, it didn't throw any errors. It didn't, it didn't complain at all. They just did a launch control, launch control, drove it back, launch control, drove it back every single time. And I actually lost count, and they ended up doing like another twenty five percent. Yeah, you know, like they did twenty five percent more runs um, when they went yeah. back and reviewed all the video, and it still kept within that margin of error. And um, there's been a lot of back and forth between Tesla um, owners and fans and things like that, particularly against the claims of the Porsche Taycan. And um, particularly, I think Top Gear was one of the most notable ones, which they did a review on a head to head comparison, found that yes. The um, the claim the sport you know the 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 launch control zero acceleration time of the Model S is faster, but on paper that doesn't really matter because in the real world the Taycan beat it almost every single time and was a lot more consistently close to its on paper claim compared to the Tesla Model S. Um, and there was an article that came out here in Australia from TechAU that that. Its headline was, yep, the takeout's here, but it's more expensive and, and slower than the Model S. And I think at the end of the day, if we're looking at these figures, and I'm sure we'll see a lot more comments from people buying these and everything like that, where they're going, look, I couldn't really care. They, I don't think they re- having a, a 0.3 or a one second slower Porsche than a Tesla is really going to matter when at the end of the day, they're still driving a really well kitted out and performing um, Porsche compared to a, a Tesla. I don't know. That's just me. That's what I've, I'm seeing. I've barely heard a word you said because I'm just looking at the pictures. This thing you do is this could be doing zero 104 seconds, and I wouldn't care. You'd buy yeah. it over a Model S. It just looks so good. But I mean, it's going to handle like a Porsche too. So. Oh, what are you it, gonna do? So, it, yeah, exactly. There's there's so many things, um, and I am a you know I, I love Porsche as a brand. So there is a little bit of you know there is going to be you know an inherent bias in, in in what I'm saying. But the thing is, is that you just have to read every single article, or do your research, you know, dive through the the tons of discussions, and you'll be able to you know come up with your own conclusion. But what they've done is just so good um and i haven't even you know i haven't driven one i've driven a model s i've driven a p100d and um you know that's yeah, a lot of fun too. to 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 mash the pedal in and just feel the acceleration sure. at the end of the day you're not going to do that every time you're not going to do that every time you're at the lights it doesn't doesn't matter you kind of um somebody that i know bought a a, a 75 um model s and and they could have bought a P100D. They, they, it, you know, 
the the money wasn't really big of an issue. But they said at the end of the day, I don't really need that performance in a car like that. Um, you know, so that once the thrill wears off, well, I've got this really quick car that doesn't really matter when it comes to that. Um, but yeah. if you're going for a a mountain drive on the weekend um it's still i think the entry level range is 365 kilometers um you have the ability to do all the um all of the charging that you want so yeah i think the looks have got one thing i think it's a way better looking sports car four door than um any other competitor that offers an all all electric option um yep. yeah i don't know even I, some I don't really see one yeah but it just, it yeah, it looks cool. It kind of, you know, diff, the black, I think, looks the best. It looks super, fu- it looks really futuristic with that full-on um, LED strip light across the back, which acts as like a yeah. your, your brake light. Um, yeah, I don't know. It looks cool. It looks so cool. Um, and it's been a long time since I've been so excited, you know, as excited for an electric car. Um, like this, we've been waiting for it. You know, it's the, it's this Tesla killer, effectively, or, or competitor that we've been waiting for for a long time. So, you know, do you it's, think, it's it's does it really compete against the Model S? Do you think that it's going for the same type of? Oh, it's going to have to steal. Um, it's going to have to steal oh, sales. It's gonna, because... Yeah, it's going to steal sales. But do you think it's a competitor? Because I think the people that are that have bought a Model S and, and are trading into this have really had the Model S as a stopgap rather than, yeah. oh, something better has come along. I think it's a competitor is in that it's something different into the market and that yeah. you know the people yeah, want yeah. something different and, and they've had the Model S so they want a different brand. It's like you know it's why so many other brands now are constantly looking at bringing something into a market where there's already been another model and they want to be competitive in it because they want part of that market and it's a really really smart. Uh, move by Porsche. Mm. I think the really um, it's it's like when the Prius came out. You know, it was like the hybrid was a good idea, but it was a Prius, and they got that whole um, you know they got the whole vibe around the Prius. There was a certain type of person that bought the Prius, and there was a certain image that went with it. Um, Tesla kind of has gone down the same path through no fault of their own. They've just got the, you know, the Tesla fans don't, don't criticize Tesla on Twitter for goodness sake. You'll be there for a thousand years clearing out your notifications. Um, because <laughs> Are you speaking from experience? <laughs> yeah, I am. I, am. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name is. He ended up, um, it's one of those guys who, I think he's like a stockbroker or something, but he's one of the Tesla Arty and <laughs> I can't remember. Picked on him about something one day and he ended up saying, oh, no, I was just joking about that thing. You know, like I wasn't really saying what it's supposed to be. And essentially, he's turned his account now. Half of his comments are parodies and the rest of them are real, but you have to pick which ones. But anyway, I've sort of diverged a bit there. But none of us, like nobody who's, um, well, anybody that's older than 20 didn't grow up looking at Tesla's going, this is the car that I wanted because it never existed. Whereas I don't know about you guys, but one of the first cars I ever lusted after was, was a 911. So when I see Porsche going into the EV 
field. It now gives me an excuse as somebody who before was looking at Tesla's going, oh, yeah, mm. good on them, it's something new, whatever. Now Porsche's gone into it, then everyone's like, oh, I can come too because I've already loved Porsches and now yeah. Porsches are doing EVs, let's go. You know, it's mm. it's sort of going to it's going to bring that EV market along a lot further because um, people aren't going to be associating themselves with the Tesla Rati. Sorry, Tesla, but that's who your fans are. Yeah. Um, you know, it's going to be able to bring a lot more people into the into the EV market and it's, I yeah. think it's going to accelerate, no pun intended, rather quickly from now. Um, <laughs> well, it's, and, and it's really funny because it speaks along with that because if you look at the the comments on the article that I've just got open in front of me, it's it's very interesting that uh, – and it – it's kind of frustrating from one perspective because it's like, oh, this is, you know, tired of media labeling this the Tesla killer and, um, you know, who's got 200000 to spend on a car and that kind of thing. It's like, well, actually quite a lot quite a of few people, people do because even <laughs> yeah. now not all Porsches, and I'm going to be clear, not all Porsches are over 200000 You've got the Macan that you can you know, very easily jump into one at 100000 But last month alone, they sold 328 cars. Now, that was down from 465 last year. But that's almost just as many as Ram, just as many. That's more than Mini. That's that's almost as many. They're just, uh, what's that, 75 short of Skoda? Um, like, they're selling a lot of vehicles for the gap, you know, which the market which they sit in. Um, it's way more than Ferrari or anything like that. Um, you know, so that's... I think we can't lose perspective as well exactly to what you're saying is that I think the real market which Tesla is going to succeed in is where the Model 3 and the Model Y are. Um, which is, yeah. you know, your your everyday affordable forty to fifty thousand dollar electric car that gives really good range and is a perfect city car, you know, within that budget. Um, yeah. And 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 we're going to see Tesla steal because we don't they don't release sales figures, which, so it makes it really hard to to compare the success of it because it could be a hundred or a month or it could be a thousand a month. We don't know. Um, and I'm certainly not seeing, I saw a lot of model threes arrive on trucks, but I didn't, I haven't seen that translate into cars on the road. And I know that we've been shut down for a few months, but like even prior to that, I haven't seen the explosion of model threes that I kind of expected, but I wouldn't be surprised if Tesla really corners that market and dominates that area of the market, because that is where they've been really pushing for a really long time to create an affordable electric car. Now, when the Model S launched, it hasn't. It now it's seen updates all the time. I'm not going to um, sort of say that because they don't really do model years or anything like that. They introduce new features when they become available, and you know, the car that you order might actually come with an extra feature because they added that to the factory, or you might even get a software or an extra update seat. to add that. Yeah, which or green know, carpet. That, or yeah, an extra bolt. <laughs> so that's <laughs> so that's cool. That's fine. Um, and I think that works really well. But we haven't seen a, a fundamental update to the Model S for a very long time now. That that car no. has been around, and, and Tesla has changed a lot, and they've learned a lot from when that Model S was first you know introduced to the world, and. So I think it's kind of unfair to, yeah, compare the Model S to the Tacon because it's an older car with updated software versus a completely, you know, uh, a totally recent engineering feat 
that's been released and, yep. and done in the last few years versus, you know, um, 2012, let's just say, or 2013. Um, but I think people are kind of losing that, yes, the Tesla Roadster is coming at some point and that's going to have insane performance figures. But uh, I don't know. I don't think that's where really... Um, Tesla is wanting to, to aim for with that market. I think they're wanting to, they'll they'll want to have that Halo um, product like the Roadster and they'll they'll probably even update the Model S with something, you know, with a updated design and everything. But I think, um, I don't think that's where Tesla is really focusing the time and effort because it's not, there's going to be other brands. Porsche is not the only brand that is going to be releasing something in that, you know, 200,000 plus electric car segment. Everyone is gunning for it. And we can see that in the hybrid models that everyone's been doing. Ferrari is doing it even um, in their latest models, having a, you know, a proper hybrid system. So it's going to be only a matter of time until we see an electrified, you know, a fully electric version of a Ferrari at some point because the performance figures are too good to ignore um, for the sake of keeping a combustion engine around. So I think it, it's kind of yeah. a bit pointless, you know, always doing this, you know, back and forth, tit for tat kind of argument about between these two cars because I think a Porsche, I don't think they care. I don't think they really care. Porsche in products which they release they never really care. They do their own thing um, and leverage, you know, their, the Volkswagen automotive group um, for parts. And But most of the time they develop their own things anyway and use the bare minimum from other, um, other you know, sister brands and things like that. So I think they've just set out and they've, you know, they've probably bought a few Model S's to do, to the, you know, to help with the development, to, to, to look at how they approach certain problems or anything. But I think Porsche just <laughs> said that's cool, but this is what we're doing and, you know, we don't really care what the other thing is because we know that we're going to create a really good product and that's what people are going to buy based off that. That's, you know, I, I think it's... Yeah. What about... Do you, do you think um, the new Model S, where is it? How far away is it? What's going on? Because do you, do you think, like, because it's going to be now such a saturated part of the market that Tesla do you think they can still compete while when all the rest of the regular players come into that segment or should they just focus down on that model Y model 3 kind of segment well they've got a I, lot I, of it doesn't strike me that Elon would back away to be honest no, but um, they've he's, got a he's, lot of... he's not one to back away from a fight but they've got a lot of interesting challenges that any other automotive brand doesn't really have to face like they Tesla yep. Um, in the process of you know honing and understanding mass production, unlike you know they've done before at all, um, where brands like Porsche, Volkswagen, BMW, they've been producing millions of cars for a very long time. You know these brands have been around yep. for over a hundred years, and so they know how to make a car. But and so all they've had to learn is how to make an electric one. But the process of building and scaling um, to a mass production level, that's not where their challenge is. And so they can focus on the other things. Um, the, the, the challenge which Tesla has at the moment is that scaling. But they've also got other models they're needing to develop and 
their market cap, yes, is big. It's bigger than any other automotive. You know, it's eclipsed Ford and everything like that. General Motors, yeah, sure. But in terms of the actual size of the, you know, their resources itself, the humans, you know, the people working behind developing these products isn't as big or isn't as, you know, far along as any of these other automotive companies. So they've got the 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 semi, the Tesla, their electric semi, the semi truck. They've got the the Cybertruck coming. Um, yep. they're, they're delivering on the Model Y, which we haven't quite got yet here yet, um, as well as scaling Model 3. So I think I, I don't think that the Model S at the moment really fits into the, you know, their, their product roadmap right at the front. I'm sure it's actually behind delivering the semi and delivering the Cybertruck and delivering the Roadster. I think that it's because them their bread and butter is going to be the Model 3 and the Model Y. So that's I just that's where I don't think that the Model S is really, you know, that far along. We saw that um, when Porsche did the Nürburgring lap record, which they did in the turbo, they didn't actually do it in the Turbo S. So who knows how much faster that lap record could be. Um, but yep. we know that, like what you exactly said, Elon doesn't back down from a challenge. And, and so he threw a lot of, re- oh, not a lot of resources, but he threw resources at trying to break that lap record. They took multiple Model S vehicles to the Nürburgring, heavily modified roll cages, new suspension setups, tires, all that kind of thing. Very far from a very standard um, road-going production vehicle compared to what the Taycan was, was just... Um, I don't know what safety things they did for the Tekken, but basically it was like, yeah, here's the production card. Let's do a lap record. Um, yep. And we never really saw any more from that. They tried for a lot of weekends. They they did a lot of attempts, but we never really saw any follow-up from that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that as much as people would, wouldn't, don't want Tesla to not – you know, to not back down from, you know, the, I guess the challenge from, from Porsche. I, I don't think it's worth their time and I don't think it's it's really, you know, that important at the end of the day that they have an answer to the Porsche because they're focusing on, on building, you know, cars that regular people can afford and, and, and can make a big impact in terms of emissions and things like that. Like think of what's better to, to sell, you know, half a million Model 3s or to sell... You know, twenty thing like that. So, like, when you think yeah. of the the bigger picture for for Tesla, I don't think as much as we would love to you know to, to have this epic battle between these two cars. I think it's kind of a you know, I don't think either of them really care that much. You know, past you know a couple lap records. Here. Yeah, they've got other concerns. Yeah. yeah. I just really want the Model S to be updated because it was. I mean, it was a great first effort, but now I just. You look at a Model S. Did they buy it yesterday or yeah, six years ago? Yeah, you know they both they look similar. I, yeah, I, I just really think they're sort of losing a bit of momentum with the Model S when they when they don't update it. But like mm. you say, they've got momentum in other in other in other spaces, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But I don't look at I don't look at a Model Three and go wow like I did when I saw a Model S. It doesn't yeah. grab your attention like the other one. You just go oh look, there's a Model Three. It's just like seeing another Prius when the Prius has mm. been out for a while. Well, well Tesla swung me uh, when I visited, visited Melbourne. They they gave me a Model 3 overnight. And um, apart from the hilarious story of having um, the hotel valet somehow, like, 
because you get given this key card, like a hotel key that you tap on the, the B pillar to open the door and unlock the yeah. car. And um, somehow they managed to erase the key. So they couldn't, the key stopped working. Um, <laughs> so at like 2.30 in worry. the morning, I got a phone call. Move your car. Can you help us? Because um, I could see on the app that, yes, the car hadn't moved, even though they said they were going to take it below very quickly. Yeah, and this right. was like on a main strip of Melbourne. So it was like it wasn't on a Saturday night. It's like I'd rather not have the car out there. I'd be in the car park that we're paying for as part of the room. Um, and so I had to get changed and go down and use the app on the phone, which is fantastic. It's the best app any car maker has got out there at the moment in terms of how you can use it um, and what functionality it gives you. But it was kind of like one of those funny moments where, um, you know, as cool as that key card to open the car is. Um, You're still allowed to get out of bed at 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> That's right. Even though I gave them yeah. a tutorial on how to do it. Um, but yeah, I, I, but I really loved it. It was great, but yeah, it's, I can, I can see the, the, the impact that it makes and it's made a greater impact than the VW i3 or, or any other, you know, the Renault Zoe or anything like that. You know, it's great to see a car that people are excited about and one that they can actually afford to own. I think that's, you know, I think that goes a long way. Um, but, you know, I'd love to see more on the road. That's that's all I can say. Yeah. Um, but look, we've spent a lot of time on that. Let's let's dive into something that does nothing for the environment, um, and uh, <laughs> but looks cool when it's you know trespassing you know across parks and property and everything like that. And that's the J oh, the Jeep Gladiator. So if you if you're unfamiliar with it, think of a Jeep Wrangler, but with a tray on the back. That's pretty much the Jeep Gladiator. Um, and I've seen one, and I haven't driven one, but I've seen one, and I think it's pretty cool. I like it. What about you guys? Yeah, it looks awesome. Joel. I can't I can't wait to see. Uh, you guys were saying before before we started that you've seen a couple in dealerships. Um, yeah, I need to uh, I need to go and drop by one and have a look. There's a Jeep dealership not far from my place, so uh, I've got to go out again this week to um, uh, to do a couple of things with some clients. So I think I might have to drop in and have a look. I'd love to get hold of one. So Jeep, if you uh, anyone happens to be listening, I'd love to get hold of a press car once the uh, the busyness dies down with the the guys locally. But um, yeah. It's it's pretty awesome. I've got a couple of journey mates in the US that have driven them. Um, they've just had the Mojave, which is the I'm pretty sure is the desert spec version. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're getting a limited edition model, uh, which is coming, uh, which is only limited to a hundred to start with. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it certainly looks like a um, interesting. Starts at about seventy five grand yeah. as your start point. So it's um it's a lot of money. That's kind of uh, Raptor money. Um, so yeah, it's but, but you know, Wranglers it, aren't cheap anyway. Like they they're not no. a budget four wheel drive. I think that's the thing. And so on some some cases, anybody that's passionate about Wranglers are probably thinking, oh gee, that's a really good deal for you, because you can do like a, a Ute conversion for the regular Wrangler. 
Um, but that costs like twenty or thirty thousand dollars or something like that. Um, so I think, yeah, if someone you know they've gone and done that and um, taken their you know their four door down to a two door and they see this now, they're probably going to go, ah, oh, <laughs> this is a good option and it's probably going to be cheaper too. Um, but it looks really good. good um... So it's like we were saying um, previously, you know, the the Wrangler is really, um, you know, the core vehicle for Jeep in in the US. Not not so much here, but if yeah. you've seen Jeep um, groups, like I've seen Jeep Jeep clubs going up around uh, Fraser Island and um, and that sort of thing, and they are fanatical. Yeah, one of the guys I was working with that had one, he bought everything you could bolt onto these things. And I'm not talking about where you normally talk about people bolt things on, like putting stickers on it and putting um, fake vents and things on them. I mean, like rock sliders and all the practical stuff, better snorkels. Um, He got rid of his um, standard roof. He had another roof, which was kind of like a mesh or something so he could wear it uh, used during the day, but it wasn't a full, full roof. But you know the upgrades that they were, that he was doing to this stuff was proper practical things that made it a better four wheel drive, and I think that's one of the things that sets the Wrangler apart is it's for people who go four wheel driving, and mm. people buy it to go four wheel driving because that's what it does best. Yeah, um, it, you know it's 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 not a truck for pretenders. It's not for people who want to pose and make it look like they've got a four wheel drive and pretend they do it on weekends. This is for people who do proper four wheel driving and actually enjoy getting out the bush and doing proper off-roading it's yeah. um and if you want um, to take the doors off you can you just lift them off and fold yeah them yeah them down. like it's it's in terms of you know talk about hardcore like uh, a lot of people probably oh but you got to have a land cruiser you got to have a um you know patrol or, or anything like that but i think the in their own right it's kind of like the suzuki jimny where it's in terms of the space of the market it fills and, and the objective it goes out to do, it does that really well. Um, and like what you said, the accessories are available for it are just insane. Um, even Jeep themselves, every year they do a like a a, a number like the, their design team and everything like that come together and build like these one-off models, these special one-off models, and and it really yeah. highlights like the modularity of the platform as well. So if it doesn't do something you want it to do, chances are there's a package upgrade out there that you can bolt on to do it <laughs> that will and do it'll it solve that problem. For yeah, you. yeah. Um, I drove yeah, one a if, few years ago and. Mm. Like as a, as a as an on the road type car type yeah. vehicle, I'm just like, what is going on with this thing? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. um, the steering was like, you know, I'd been sitting on my hand and it had gone numb, and I was steering with someone <laughs> else's hand. You know? But then when I got it off road, I'm just like, this is just the best. Oh. Like just, well, uh, I, I was like up near Bunya Mountains. I felt like yeah. a, a total, like a, as if I was from Florida, where I had a three-door Wrangler, and um, I took the roof off and um, left it in the garage and said, "Let's go to the Gold Coast." <laughs> like this is, yeah. You know, if you're not taking off road, you got to take it to the Gold Coast and yeah. park a yeah. beach and you know do that. But I just loved it. Like if you want to take the roof off, take the roof off. You know, if it's a good day and if it rains, well, so what? It just, it's designed for that. So I it's think um, you'd be yeah. right. Yeah. 
So I think, yeah, it's cool. It's um, If you are curious, I know that um, here in Brisbane anyway and probably most other places now, they'll probably have one on display to go and look at it. I, I highly recommend it. Go have a look at it. Seeing the, the extended, because it is much longer than the regular Wrangler, the, the, um, the yep. Gladiator There's one model. in Noosa at the moment if you want to yeah. see one, if you're on There's the sunny one coast. Of- one at Mount Cravat. Um, if you're in Brisbane, I know for sure I saw one um, in black. But, yeah, go go check it out. It's it's one of those ones which it, I'm, I'm sure it would definitely catch your attention on the road if you had one. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, yeah. one of those ones. All right, but next on, on the next one, that is if you've been paying attention on the internet, you, you've definitely seen this, but um, we have to talk about it anyway. And that's the... And I'm going to quote the press release from BMW. The sharply styled, dynamically honed BMW 4 Series Coupe to launch in Australia this October. Um, I think uh, calling it a distinctive styling package is probably underselling it. What do you guys think? (laughs) Okay, we've got an odd number here, so let's vote. I'm four. I like it. Yeah, I like it. No, I really like it. I, I, I'm a big fan of this. Uh, everyone sort of wondered what, what BMW were doing a couple of years ago when they decided to do the change between the model names with the you know the the, the coupes and the and the and the sedans. Um, but I'm really digging this coupe idea like that, uh, that new two series coupe, this four series coupe. I, I really like it. I mean, everyone's been sort of commenting about the grill. Sure, okay, it's a design change for BMW, but it's the grill. You don't see the grill when you're driving the car. Um, yeah, I, I, and, actually, I actually quite like the grill. Yeah, I think it sits well. And the way they've got the number plate placed on it as well, it it kind of, it, it you know, it kind of works. Um, I'm really intrigued to, to see them when they get here. Most of the cars these days are really done. That side profile shot is just glorious. It's so really nice. Like the side very profile. much the um, the new 8 Series uh, look about it. Um, yeah, and it's I uh, can it's, see it's, that. It's really some really nice lines, particularly over those rear haunches where the window comes down and joins the rear um, uh, C pillar comes down and joins the joins the back of the car. But yeah. yeah, I can't wait to see one in person. With most of these things now, I, I really can't make a full comment until you see it in no, the metal. In the metal, the photos don't really show it off. No, and yeah. you know, coming coming from I, a photography background. Looking at when you look at the car and the way that it photographs, it's there's a lot of things that you know they'll try to highlight a certain part of the car, but you won't see it until you look at it yourself that you actually see more lines yeah. that appear and stuff like that. So yeah, I can't. I'm excited. I can't wait to see it. The, see them land here. So I'm I'm on the fence. I think um, a lot of people are upset about the grill size and I. I Part of me can sympathise. I think if you look at the non-M Sport version, man, that I would not be buying the non-M Sport. M Sport would be an absolute must option for it um, because the M Sport just adds that aggressive level, which I think suits that larger grill. But the thing is that a lot of people forget. It's like, oh, what are BMW doing with these larger and larger grills? And I, I have to say, yes. They have been slowly getting bigger and bigger with every single like launch of a car. Like, look at the X7 um, as an example. But 
the thing is, is that big grills are part of BMW's history. Like we said it, like I said it to you guys before um, we started recording, is that go back to the 1930s um, and late 1920s, the big grills were all the rage for BMW. That was, you know, their iconic styling. That was the start of the kidney grills. Um, and this is a, a you know, interpretive artist style of, you know, those those big grills. And I think it really comes down to, you know, just like a few things, how, how you see it in person. Also, you know, how... Um, you know the the complementary styling that goes around with it. Like if you look at the in the press photos, there's a blue um, M Sport model that looks like it, and then um, there's also a white. Uh, must be like a luxury, you know, be similar to like a luxury line or anything like that. And um, the different levels of aggressiveness in those just I think really highlights um, how important color choice and options are to make something like that work. Um, I will be curious to see what it looks like in like an M4 because um, I think that's going to again hopefully make it you know fit in a little bit better. But I have to see it in person. I can't really, yeah. You see it at first and you go, oh okay, but it slowly becomes less offensive over time. I think. So, so that white one, yeah. If you try to imagine that in the blue color. Obviously, it doesn't have the same aggression with the with the deep grill um, and brake ducting um, and that sort of thing. Do you reckon the white the white one in the blue color would look better? Well, it must well, do because the white doesn't look that good. So, no, the, white's, white's white. always hard because it shows different lines are different and things like that. Yeah. You see, particularly the paint, you see more shadows. You see uh, the lines of the cars different, the car differently when you see things mm. in white compared to um, what you see in in, the, in a different color. So, yeah, like I said, it's one of those things you really need to see it in person um, to really appreciate what they've done uh, and the way that it's designed. You know, they've gone for a um, – it doesn't look – and I guess it might change, like you're saying, when we see the M4, but it doesn't look brawny. It looks more lightweight. Yes. And I think that's very much a a current trend now. Everyone's trying to remove bulk from their, from their designs. Like, that's one of the reasons the LC500 works. It doesn't have – bumps and stuff going everywhere mm, it's just like nice true. clean straight lines it looks really beautiful and light even though it's quite a large car and i'm mm. i think the four has got that similar sort of quality maybe tending a little bit too much towards a little bit too light like the concept drawings of it it's got a lot of mass to it still but the actual execution um it's doesn't look like it's smashing its way through the air or trying to make its presence felt. It's just, it's just being. I, I, I think it's, it's a nice design. But is that what BMW wants? But you look at the the style difference between the blue and the white. There's a picture there of the two of them side by the side, rear, and yeah. you really notice the difference between them um, with that front end yeah. aggression changes as well. I think the the key thing is the in in the colors and in that front bar the front bar is really the I think where it makes that big difference is you can see those aggressive bonnet lines come in and then those headlights look like they're really being drawn in 
because of that larger brake ducting that happens below on the M Sport yeah. versus the other, in which you see a lot more white, a lot more body compared to ducting and, and design elements that sort of break it up and, and draws you to the grill rather than in the white car with the, the, the more basic front bumper. It kind of is like a, a little bit of a, a flat face in a way. I don't know if that's the best yep. way to describe it. My art teacher would probably um, flunk me for it, but that's how <laughs> I feel anyway. <laughs> yep. I reckon they've done it all right. I, um, a, a pretty good job, but um, I can see why traditionalists are trying to hope for something a bit more brawny yeah. and a bit more along the previous um I mean, if they want to have some sort of flashback or familiarity, just look at the interior because they basically look the same. Yeah. Well, this is the (laughs) really interesting thing is that this is probably the first time in a long time where we've had a really really different lineup in terms of design across the entire model. In the past, in the last couple of generations, each model has kind of looked like the next one. You know, the three and the four could be mixed up with the five series and the six and the seven. Like it was all very much very samey. But with this from for an external design point of view, it's drastically different compared to even, you know, the, the Z4, which only just recently came out, or the, M, you know, the two series Grand Coupe. Like there's some borrowed elements, but in terms of the overall design, they're dra- you could say that they're drastically different. Yeah, a bit more different. unique. Yeah, which I guess is a, some people, you know, it's you can never please anyone because at one point everyone's saying, oh, they all look too much the same. And now, you know, without realizing it, they've given us the opposite of, well, here's a completely different design. And everyone's going, oh, yuck, I hate that. So, um yeah, yeah. It's kind of helps you uh, cover the bases a bit because um, I remember someone saying the other day, um, same sausage, different size. Yeah. Um, which is kind of what Audi suffered from for a while, but they've got a. I think they've got enough differentiation now in their lineup to yeah. have a bit of uniqueness uh, among the the different models. And I think BMW, you're right. They're kind of going that way. They're trying to have a bit of differentiation between their um, their sizes. I, I think they're better for it. I, I, I like the new direction. Um, but like I was saying before, before we recorded as well, it's kind of get a, got a bit of a nice Accord Coupe vibe to it. Yeah. Not not totally, but just that turret and everything, it, the way that it's mm. sort of weighted at the back and trying to lean a bit more cab forward, that's that's not very, not very BMW, I don't think. Yeah. I think it's just, uh, I think over time it'll be one of those and we'll we'll I'll be arguing about something else they're doing, you know, next month when they, you know, reveal another car. Um Yeah. yeah oh, five years then, down the track we'll be complaining about how frumpy the E forty nine was. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I think that's you know, I think it it's caught it's been a good thing for the internet anyway to have something else to argue about for once. Um <laughs> somebody to talk about it, yeah. That's it, yeah. But let's move on. So the, the Mazda we, we mentioned they had were doing, you know, like a hundredth anniversary models. Um so it seems like they've 
confirmed the the pricing for those. So they have 700 in total of the special edition. So it is um, mostly um, cosmetic touches. So um, special edition um, like alloy wheels, interior, all those little bits and pieces. Um, so it looks like we're getting the Mazda 3 sedan and hatch, the sedan, Mazda 6 sedan and wagon, 6.5, 6.8 and um, MX-5 both in the soft top and the um oh the other name is the the, the RF. target type yeah the rf um road stuff and I to RF basically it. save you a lot of thing you know, basically they range between 40 to sixty six thousand dollars to to sum it up really easily but there's um, no six nine pricing or no, no two or six, three yeah. or six, thirty years yet. Um, the split's interesting. They've actually listed the the numbers of, yeah. of that seven hundred. So yeah. the biggest number is going to be six fives, followed by six nines or six thirties. So I reckon the buy out of that is probably either one of the MX fives because there's only going to be ten of each of the soft yeah. top and the RF. But mm-hmm. otherwise, uh, probably mm-hmm. the six nine I think is probably the peak. Uh, I reckon of those are the additions. Um, the wagon would be the other good one because there's only going to be five wagons. Yeah. Um, and at fifty grand, it's probably not a bad buy. It's not. It's pretty good for a wagon, I would think. Um, I'll assume it'll be based off the Yeah, and we've so much. We've all, we've spoken about how much we like wagons um, <laughs> compared to the other alternatives. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just think it's kind of interesting to see that a brand is hasn't just done a single car like you know like in this instance chosen the mx5 to do a 100th anniversary they've actually covered pretty much the entire passenger vehicle range because it's more um, about the brand than it is about yeah. particular models and so yeah i celebrate their 100 100th year anniversary so yeah. it's great that you know across the board every every model has the ability to to buy this special edition yeah so i think that's cool i think it's a good thing um and uh yeah if you're wanting to grab yourself a little bit of history um yeah you're gonna jump in particularly you know for the mx5 or the the wagon particularly there's not going to be many of those and that's if they haven't already been spoken for that's for sure because we have you know it has been known that these models are coming for a little while so and it's un- it's not unlike dealers to be taking uh deposits for a car that doesn't exist yet so um yeah, don't be surprised Sorry, I'm just on the uh, 100th anniversary special edition page registering my interest for the wagon. Hang on. <laughs> you guys just go about your business. <laughs> well, we'll move on and we'll talk about... Uh, so one thing and we, we mentioned earlier is about the One Series and not sure how this is going to um, impact. But so BMW... Um, have increased so the, the the one series only launched about six months ago um but it seems like they've had to do a little bit of uh re readjustment of their pricing so the entry level 118i um has risen three thousand dollars to four forty five thousand nine ninety plus year on roads um with the flagship m135i um jumping four thousand dollars to sixty eight nine ninety um and that's following a thousand dollar price increase that it had in February. So quite a big jump. And they, they do say that, um, the Mercedes has, um, also had to increase its prices. Is this, is this just a, 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 the Australian dollar, you know, readjust 
investing or, you know, do you think BMW is saying, hey, look, we could probably squeeze a few more dollars out of this or, or what do you think it is? Because BMW says, look, they constantly review their pricing structure and factoring the exchange rate inflation and changes to material costs. But um, usually we don't see such big variances in cost, um, particularly so short, you know, in such a short amount of time um, after launch. Well, the variation the in the Australian dollar hasn't been that big. So, um, and it's on the rise back up again anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not really sure yeah, why. Yeah. Yeah, to me, like when they when when they say something like that, um, cost of review pricing structure factoring in exchange rate inflation and changes to material costs, to me that says I can't forecast <laughs> because you should already have analysts doing that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, what are they? Maybe they can foresee something in the future. But like Joel's saying, you know, we're going up, not down. It should be mm. getting cheaper for us. And I know there was a a period a few years ago where. <laughs> The Australian dollar was going absolutely gangbusters, and the price didn't go down. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, and I do particularly remember BMW saying specifically, "We're adding more value rather than reducing the list price." Mm. So whether they were just flicking a few switches on in the software department and turning on a few extra features or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. Can you say it's a good look or a bad look or not? I don't think it's yeah. uh, a massive issue. And, look, but- and, and that's also just in the list price. In reality, the the deal, you know, the price that you'll be able to walk in and negotiate might, you know, you might be able to get more of a saving, or you might not even see that increased price. So Depends it's also stock as well yeah. on the floor and yeah. everything else as well. So that's, I guess, yeah. List prices for cars are kind of a, a very much a guide only. It's very rarely that you kind of see it as it is. I think there's only a few brands that kind of just go, well, that's the price. If you want it, take it for that. Um, but most brands and dealers are going to haggle and, you know, do it. I think there are a lot of people that do just go in and the dealer says, this is how much the car costs, and they go, okay. And they just buy them. Um, but, uh, some people don't, these know, people don't know. Very because I've got a haggling. few things I'd like to sell them. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but, like, I mean, still, I'm, I'm sure it happens. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do think too that a lot of people consider that people that are going to buy BMWs or Mercedes just throw their money around and, and don't worry about it. And I do know some people that do that. Do that. Um, but I also know that a lot of people that do um, premium purchases, they can afford to buy premium cars because they are hard negotiators and they mm. will screw you for every dollar. So, um, yeah, I think that $3,000 on top um, for the for the 118, I think that's a pretty significant change in price that either someone's going to try and screw back down again or they'll just go and buy an Audi. And, you know, it's also the other question is, and I've seen this comment thrown around in a few of the news articles about it, is most buyers aren't going to see the purchase price anyway. They're just looking for the weekly repayment because that's all that matters to them. Um, and if yeah, it fits true. under, it doesn't matter what Very the purchase true. price is. If it fits their budget each week, well, they're okay with that. So yeah. um, maybe that's a strategy because, you know, how many, you know, I, I don't know the figures, but yeah, maybe that's the other consideration as well. If, 
the price, you know, people aren't as sensitive to the price. It's just that they're more sensitive to those weekly repayments. And with interest rates the way they are, it's a great way to to keep those repayments at the same rate at a lower interest rate. Yeah, it's potentially true too, yeah. You know, that's, that's the, you know, the devil's advocate coming into here for, you know, thinking about that alternative as well. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big price hike and... It's one of those things where it's not coming across the other models either. So that's where you go, well, yeah, what isn't, you know, is it the market or, yeah, did they get a calculation very wrong in terms of, um, yeah, what that should be priced at? But it's good if you got yeah, it it's early. it's pretty significant <laughs> for the base model though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah so it's a big jump. Um, I'd... If you are looking at a one series, maybe uh, sneak in sooner rather than later um, to, to beat that price rise <laughs> and uh, catch a dealer that's maybe snoozing and missing those memos. Um, <laughs> but let's. Um, so, a little while ago, Toyota said that, look, we're not going to. We're going to push off uh, and hold off from releasing the updated Hilux because we've got too much stock. Um, obviously, maybe things have changed a little bit because uh, the covers have come off the 2021 Hilux, um, as well as we suspect that the Land Cruiser 300 series might be coming soon as well. Um, so, yeah, look, I think it... It, I don't know. It looks mostly the same. Maybe a couple of different touches. Not as dramatic as some of the renderings were showing um, that we had no. discussed previously. It very much, to me anyway, um, looks like a life cycle update more than you know anything else. Not a completely yeah yeah you know, most a important new model. Thing. More power. Yeah. Yeah. Fifteen exactly. percent increased. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder where Probably they found those. Those hamsters hiding uh, to, to put them under the, uh, the, the hood. There's a fair bit of work involved from what they're saying in terms of, you know, new components and, and enhanced cooling setup, um, but also as well as the power, the torque's increased 11% yeah. as well. So it's good. It's in that high number bracket that most of the other competitors are around 500 newton metres now. Um, yeah. But 11% well, basically increase. The in- only... It's it's now in the range where the Amarok is still the leader in terms of power and torque at 190 kilowatts and 580. Um, But now the Hilux is in line with the Ranger Raptor, which has got 157 kilowatts and 500 newton meters, where the Hilux with the 2.8 liter diesel is now 150 and 500. So, um, which should mean things for towing and... Yeah, so yep. it should be that most importantly, towing capacity is now thirty five hundred kilos um, on the four by four models, and if you got if you're going for the four by two, it's now twenty eight hundred kilos, and that's really been a weak point for Toyota in particular. Is has been that to, you know that towing capacity, which I think was previously twenty five hundred kilos, and if you think about towing a caravan or anything like that, um, 2,500 kilos really doesn't get you much of a, a caravan and, and, no. and luggage and equipment and things like that. So whilst 3,500 no, kilos... the tyres with nitrogen to save a couple of grams. That's how close yeah. you are to the, 
towing yeah. capacity for off-road campers with 2,500. Yeah, that's right. So, look, it's I think all around in terms of the the um, the core fundamentals of the Hilux, it, it does all these things really well. It also, for people who love the tech, um, it does have CarPlay and Android Auto, um, which is great because Toyota has been so resistant in the past. Um, it's got a better, a bigger 8-inch touchscreen, um, so yeah, it, it overall on paper it looks like a good good package. It's still you know the yeah, Toyota <laughs> you, know, you know what cracks me up? What's it's that? number one. <laughs> What's it where are they gonna go? They're gonna be yeah, more number that's one. True. Uh, yeah. It's I I, more, yeah. More I mean obviously chair. they have to keep upgrading. Yeah, yeah, true. But I mean, I, I don't know whether this is going to make them dominate more because, I mean, they needed more power, absolutely, no doubt. Um, I really hated getting dragged off by my father-in-law and his 200 series every time I go up a hill. Yeah. Um, but uh, in but the same it didn't matter same... too much because they're still selling no. the truckloads of them. So, Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and, that, and that's kind of the, um, I mean, you've got to keep upgrading your product. Obviously, you can't just rest on your laurels. No. But it's just, they, they seem so insurmountable in their position as number one. Mm. I mean, range has been close a few times, but not really close. Yeah, but like the, no one's ever, the non-carplay thing has been, been a herder for that model as well. So the fact absolutely. that it's been upgraded, it goes a long way to help it with be on par with its biggest competitor, um, that it's a no-brainer now yeah. in terms of which one to go for. But I do, I think some of the looks, so uh, the, the US don't get the Hilux. They have a different model called the Tacoma. And, um, and the Tundra. Yeah, so the Tundra uh-huh. is obviously, you know, like RAM and everything like that. But when looking at, there's a, there's a front-on view of a silver or a white Hilux. And in that particular view, you can start to see where maybe the Hilux design team has, you know, peeked over and looked at the desk of the Tacoma design team and said, ah, I think we want to go for something. Yeah, that's all right. There's some family Um, resemblance for sure. Yeah, so they've, they've, they've brought that closer. And it's always been a weird thing that I'd never understood why the Tacoma and the Hilux have existed as separate products um, when, A, the Hilux is so dominant in the rest of the world um, and why they'd go to the bother of you know engineering a completely different model for the US market when they achieve basically you know pretty much the same thing it's not like there's a slightly right. different use case or anything they they go for the same objective um but i did I think always they're think modestly larger aren't they the tacoma yeah <laughs> I think the Tacoma is just like a little bit bigger, like it's a red. Because one of the issues I've I've found with the Hilux is it is just a little bit more cramped in the cabin. So the D Max, actually, just about everything except for the Triton, um, are all bigger in the cabin than what the Hilux is. Mm. But the Hilux is a really great size for doing just about everything. It's got a little bit more grunt than the Triton, but it's still about the same size as that same level of. Um, being able to throw it around the car park with reasonable, um, you know, it's, it's not too intimidating. It's not massively long like the other um, competitors like the Rangers. Yeah. So the Hilux is kind of strength and weaknesses both being the same thing. It's kind of diminutive size, but middles of this pack power. So now it's mm-hmm. got that same size, but the greater power, it's obviously going to do a lot better, but 
yeah, I don't know. I just I always feel like they could be a little bit little bit bigger, and I think that's where the Tacoma was. They've they got a little bit more space as well. Otherwise, they'd be yeah. well. Americans don't like things being small, so it's <laughs> for uh, <laughs> anything. Um, even their canyon, I think they were saying the canyon they thought was a little bit small, which is um, our D-Max Colorado. It's basically the same mm. the same product, and they consider that to be a small truck. So, <laughs> yeah. Although, I mean, I like the – I think they've got a forerunner over there still too, which is based on the Tacoma. So, yes, again, definitely. like I was yeah. saying before, the Fortuna is kind of a little bit smallish. The forerunner would be the, would be the ideal size, but – what do we know? Harlex has been number there. one for how long? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've got a couple of journo mates over there that have them, and they love them. And they, um, you know, they're a good car. And it's kind of like when we used to have the surf. You, you know, the forerunner. Yeah, that's the surf. what I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah. You know, they go um, Highlander, Forerunner, Sequoia, Land Cruiser. So you know, they've got for their SUV range. I mean, they don't get the Fortuna like we do, but they have the Forerunner and the Sequoia. So. Um, yeah. Before they get to the Land Cruiser. Yeah. Well, but let's. Uh, yeah, talking about the Fortuna. That obviously there's a new version of those new Hilux, new Fortuna. So we've got that as well. So the new seven seats had an upgrade, um, running that same new engine as well, um, which is yep. just impressive. Um, but yeah, and read down the the bottom of the release is interesting. They've sold over fifteen thousand Fortuners in Australia since mid two thousand and fifteen. How many? More than I thought it would have been fifteen thousand. Wow, it's averaged three thousand a year. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. Bad. The Crusade I think it's gets... probably the coolest looking one, but that's not a. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a merit for winning, but it, it is the coolest looking one, I think, the Fortuna in that in yeah. that space. I just don't really love the name. I like the new look. The new looks really nice. Yeah. Well, let's let's touch on. We've got a few more bits of news that I want to touch on um, before we wrap up. But so we did we did mention the, the there's a new Kia Picanto coming with a bit of a big design. Update. Um, so that's going to go on sale in the third quarter. Um, yeah, so updated for the GT line and GT models. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if it if it um, you know makes a bit more of a dent into that micro segment. It's got a, a bigger eight inch touchscreen, four point two inch color super supervision cluster as they call it. Um, the Let's have a look. And new yeah, design, be... sixteen-inch alloys as well, plus bigger uh, four-point-two color um, uh, supervision cluster. So yeah, an, imp- an improvement in the interior as well. So yeah, this is a great little car. And this again, it's one of those little, you know, it's a it's a good car. It doesn't really need the change, but obviously, you know, you're improving it. The new screen looks good. Um, Interior is still quite nice yeah. in terms of looking at the, the press photos that they've supplied. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's nice to see it. Um, those seats in the interior are really nice, that new pattern yeah, design as it well. Looks, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest uh, change we're going to have in that micro segment is just going for a more of a premium feel because a lot of the things that can make it feel premium have have reduced dramatically in terms of price. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's something which 
I think, yeah, it's going to be really cool to see. Um, uh, halogen headlights on the entry level S model too. Uh, you'd think they'd be able to still go to like an LED or something like that because um, I still it's a big bugbear whenever I see a new car with halogen lights um, but you know what can you expect for the price of which they're selling it for um, yeah, but that's like so I keep the engine's the new gen as well that's now yeah um, so they updated yeah. one liter so yeah, yeah so. quite interesting and yep. of course the usual seven year warranty as well on Kia yeah. so yeah, um, I think they've, uh, they've they're, they're going to do well with that. So it'll be interesting to see what they're like when they uh, they land. Yeah, they're going from probably one end, one end of the spectrum to the uh, other end of the spectrum with the uh, stingray, <laughs> stingray right. confirmed for uh, Ryan Drive. And waiting for it to land because uh, we still don't even have a proper, you know, signal on when the regular right-hand drive Corvette is going to arrive or if it's going to arrive. So um, it's kind of, I guess, reassuring that we're going to see something like this. Um, but, yeah, so apparently the um, in it, the Corvette Stingray is going through, like, its launch in Europe. And um, there's a single line that um, in that, like, press material that says available with left or right-hand drive for the first time in Corvette's history. Now, who knows how accurate that is. It could have been something that was overlooked and left in there by accident. Um, but... Yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, if we do that, who knows how expensive this is going to be? Yeah. Um, but look, I'll walk, I'll happily welcome it if it means that we're going to get a right-hand drive Corvette of any type here. Because <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, I, I'm, it's it's kind of like it's one of those cars that we got teased about so badly. Um, you know when they said it was going to be coming and then all of a sudden you know with what happened with holden um all that got thrown you know sort of up in the air of oh we don't know what's going to happen now but i remain hopeful given that you know we have a couple more of these things coming through still saying that um yeah it's still going to exist in right hand drive and some you know somewhere in the world but the interesting thing I read during the week is that it had some supplier issues with obviously the uptake has been so so popular in the US that yeah. they can no longer um, supply the rear uh, wing. So that rear wing, which was an option, uh, is mm-hmm. no longer available. And a certain carbon fibre front splitter package, um, again, mm-hmm. is no longer available. So both those have been taken off. They still show on the configuration website in the US, but mm-hmm. there is a note now listed with them saying that um, they won't be available due to uh, supply issues with the supplier. Mm. Uh, well, it's uh, it's good news. It's still, There's still hope, and I think at the end of the day, that's the most important thing um, at the moment for Australians is uh, we, we could still see it, and in a in an official, you know, in an official capacity at some point. Yeah. Um, I don't think so anyone yes. will be crying about whether or not they have the wing or the splitter on the front no. if they've got I one. The first one, you've physically got one here and you're board. driving it and you own it. Yeah, no one will be complaining about that at all. No, no. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, the uh, another bit of exciting. How, how easily, <laughs> I was just going to say how easily we're um, we're sidetracked and oh, GM's okay now because they're sitting as Corvettes. <laughs> like everyone's been hey, throwing hey, rotten hey, tomatoes no. at them for the last six months. <laughs> 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 
Oh, look, a shiny toy. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, also news that's an, uh, as a bit of a return, but it's one of those things that quietly disappeared um, away from the market for a little period, which was the Audi RS3. Um, Audi's uh, welcoming the return of the Sportback and the sedan in this model. Um, this is an absolutely ripper car, um, one of the very, very cool uh, and very, very, very popular for the brand. Um, but now that, that now it's back because uh, it's been deli- it's been off the market for about eighteen months mm. due to some homologation rules in Europe around the new WLTP uh, engine um, or perform. It was too perform- fast, wasn't it? No, it wasn't that. It was uh, it was one of the last <laughs> engines to get. Um, uh, configured to meet new European um, rules in emission terms standards. of emission standards. That's the word I was looking for. Thanks, Mick. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it sort of kind of disappeared off the market for a while, but it's back now. So um, uh, probably about time for those that have had them to maybe do an update for the for the new version. But uh, there's even going to be a special carbon edition model um that's coming so the r3 sportback starts at 83 800 on road uh actually sorry that that's uh, manufacturer list price and then we've got a sedan at 86 and a half and then the two sportback carbon edition or the carbon editions in sportback and sedan starting at 87 and 89 um so an absolute weapon out of a car these things mm. um, how's, how's the numbers I know. 294 kilowatts, 480 <laughs> newton meters. It's just, it's crazy. Fantastic. And like to 19 pound <laughs> uh, yeah. If it's not under four, forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But such a, such a cool looking little car though. Yeah. And yeah. And they, they just seem to excel themselves every every A3, S3, yeah. all that, the RS3. It's just, <laughs> I, I, I see them all the time. And I, yeah, you know, so I, I, I know we talked about this last week when the sedans come out, the um, the hatches kind of disappeared for a little while. Mm-hmm. And now I guess I know why. Everyone's waiting for this one to come back out. Yeah. The sport back looks beautiful. And how good is the interior? Mm. The interior shots are phenomenal. Yeah, the RS but, um, yeah. model... Uh, it, it just the, the finish on these things is just brilliant. Like they're always so nicely done. Having spent a lot of time around um, Audi drive experience events and things like that, these things are just absolutely brilliant and so much fun to to be around and and to to drive. Um, and just the noise these things create, the popping and the banging, and that they uh, that they create. But yeah, just the the finish from everything from just the little trim finishes to to the interior to the communication system inside uh is just yeah it's just superb so great to see it back uh and hitting coming back to our roads yes and uh one thing to i look forward to seeing this one on the roads as well because i'm kind of going through this phase at the moment is um volkswagen part of the uh the group which brings you the RS3 is going the completely opposite where they're bringing the California beach camper and multivan cruise on sale, but they're doing it. Um, they're only doing it online um, because it is a limited edition. Um, but yeah, so they're limited to 30 units each. Um, and you can, 
purchase from the 24th of June uh, from 10 a.m. So, yeah. Scare me. Tell me the price. Oh, let's have a look. <laughs> so multivan, which is the uh, the standard range, is from seventy three RRP, yeah. and then the California Beach Edition, uh, which is a limited edition, ninety four. Wow! But yeah, in comparison, and only in thirty of each available. So um, does it make its own waves? Or... <laughs> yeah. um, no, it doesn't have an inflatable option. I think uh, I can't see that uh. listed here, uh, unfortunately. But look, it's it's one of those ones where if you look at at a comparative um, camper van, um, this actually does a really good job at hitting a, a, a good cross point in terms of a, you know what you're getting for the money, um, because even you know to do a, a pop top on a on a let's just say a, a Renault traffic you're looking at ten thousand dollars at least um to get someone to cut the roof out and to to add the attachment on um or even it could be even more than that i think so it, it if you're buying a van for forty thousand and then you're adding in these things you're going to get very quickly close to the money which they're asking and this is a product that you get from factory um, you know, with these modifications done. So I think on one hand, yeah, it's a bit of a pill to swallow, but at the same time, um, it's 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 not bad. Um, it's still not cheap, but not bad for what you're getting out of it, I think. That's... No, because you know, they've really... Because it's already set up with a second battery, a yeah. programmable parking, parking heater. heater. Yeah. You know, those things are, are good set up. Yeah. Well, you know, kind of and look, essential you know, for this and the stuff. And Mick, you'll save your trip to BCF because it also includes a camping table and two cha- two camping chairs. Oh, good. That's handy. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the roof's yeah, they, included, silver awning, like an awning on it as well. So, you know, it's it's set up ready to go in terms of, you know, some of those those um, things. And then there's obviously also all the colour choices and everything as well for it. So, yeah. 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 Like I've got, I've looked at these before. Uh, obviously, not the limited edition ones. These are obviously new editions. Yeah. But I had a look at the multi vans before the combis, and they are a solid piece of gear. Yeah. I mean that you you can feel where the money goes. They they do feel really solid. It's just a uh, obviously a big deviation from. It was actually our first family car when I was born. We lived in Darwin. We had a combi van. Wow. Um, I don't. I don't think it had a heater. It didn't matter because you're in Darwin, so you didn't need one. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, that, they bought that in 1974, and it died in 1974 thanks oh. to Hurricane uh, to Cyclone Tracy. Got the roof sucked off it. Boy. Um, but you know, that was these were always supposed to be the you know Volkswagens of people's car, and it was supposed to be a an accessible thing. This is this is not for everyone. This is for everyone who is now at a point where they actually have the freedom to go camping on the weekends wherever they want, and now they can do it in comfort. I guess it's um, some of the times it's released too. You know, they uh, yeah. ease up. That's it's good timing. It is. They they they, they do look pretty cool. I um, have you heard anything else about them? The what was it called? The microbus. So they had like an EV version of these was supposed to be coming out yeah, a while ago. That was supposed to be a hardback. More come out of it, um, but I'm sure it's one of those things that's sitting in a in a development team somewhere, 
trying to work yeah, out the cost of it you know, in, the, in the range. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But no, it's yeah. um. Oh well, thirty lucky people will get one of these. So, well, sixty total. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, oh yeah, thirty of each. Yep. Hopefully, see those at camping sites around Australia soon, um, as I'm sure Volkswagen will be saying. Um, but next up, a final bit of local news is the, um, the the popular Santa Fe from Hyundai has been updated um, with a new design. Um, yeah, what do we think? It's kind of it, very it feels very it feels very American. If I yeah, there is that. that American feel to it, but I like it. It's a it goes along the lines of those um, these new grills and and I was going to say big if, if you hate big grills, you're not going to like the Santa Fe. <laughs> but an interesting design with the, some <laughs> of the right. vertical uh, lights in the lower part of the. Um, the part of the bumper, the, yeah. you know, these the LED lights in the in the grill in the front are very very thin. They're, they're not not very very big, but it's a, yeah, it's a very very interesting light. The you know LED um, lights at the top are uh, yeah, it's a, it, it's a it's a bizarre design, but um, yeah, I think it uh, it looks quite good in, in terms of what it'll do. Um, Saying it's due second half. Yeah, that's the, the first year. time I've seen that pick. That's oh. I haven't seen that angle before. It's kind of, yeah, that's that is very um I don't know, controversial, I guess polarizing a bit. Mm, very polarizing. Uh, not, not, not that the current one isn't. Like I've um, had a few people comment on the ones that I've been driving. <laughs> And it's about 50-50, yes or no, as far as liking the current design. So I guess, you know, maybe they had to have a swing at something new. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you guys like it? I'm, I'm a bit... I really like the side profile on the rear end. The rear end's got yeah. a really nice uplift. It's got, like... Um, one of you said that the it's very American in terms of the design mm. language that it that it's pushing out. You know those rear that rear tail light design with the the beam or the bar going across underneath yeah. the window badge um, is very sort of chic in terms of now. But um, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I, I think, think it looks good. Yeah, I like it. Big I'd like to see another put that in inch, white. Twenty yeah. inch alloys. Yeah, can I see another color, please? Mm. Yeah, you can have it in white or white. The new um, so the new it... console looks interesting as well on the interior. Yeah, so is it, it actually like... bigger? Someone was saying it was bigger the other day, but I mean, you haven't got any figures here for it. Obviously, it looks like the same one. They've just looked like they've changed the nose. To no, me. increase width on the wheel arches. Hmm. 20-inch wheels, so I think that might be the other difference of why it's looking different. I think the wheels are probably the big change. I, I would hate to see the cost of the of new tyres on a 20-inch 20-inch um, wheel uh, for a <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to shock a lot of people, but I think the interior is probably the most in- interesting thing. The, the interior looks very busy, and um, the wheel looks a little bit cheap even. Um, but I like yeah, maybe because it's the black. Display. I actually really like that. Yeah, I don't know if it because it's brown. The new, there's a new ter- terrain mode selector, um, ah, which is which is designed to help it change true, between yeah. the different drive settings. So 
Which that's honestly, in a center fade, is probably going to be the least few, least used feature. Um, <laughs> Possibly. Possibly. Yeah, because I don't know how many people are going to be rushing to to take it off-road or, you know, probably the most, a little bit of sand maybe, you know, going camping. But, um, yeah. You know um, what? I know I know you said the, um, the steering wheel looked cheaper, but I actually like that they've gone black because currently the shape, the color they've got is like a, um, you know, the Chico lollies? It's that brown. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't quite float my boat. I don't really like that color particularly. Underlight, Pure black. I like, I like this black and tan. Yeah. I like yeah. the black and tan. I reckon it looks Very good. solid center console. It's very, like... Yeah, I don't know. I'll, uh, yeah. I, I think I, I think I'll like it in person a lot more than I do in the photos. Yeah, let's wait till they uh, they land here. Yeah, I, I love the floating dash with the um, with the gap underneath where you can put things underneath the the shifter part because obviously the the push button shifter they've got at the top there it's not a direct mechanical link so you've got some space to put things underneath so yeah. now you can put your phones underneath it i had that in the buick i was driving in the us and it was it was so good the things that you don't need you can put out of the way and still have them charging or running i was running google maps when i was over there as well so it was it was really handy so that's a good addition same as what Mm. they got in the what's the hyundai uh the e kona same thing they've got that Actually, they got a massive bucket where you can put anything because there's no transmission there. But um, same sort of thing where they've got the electric push button transmission up high. So that's a good addition. Mm. It'll make it feel a lot more modern. Mm. Well, uh, let's let's jump into some international news and, and talking. Uh, I don't know. I need to work on these segues. But I was going to say, talking of uh, an American styling, we're going to and talk about a very American car. That's for sure. Um, is the Bronco the by from Ford? We've seen concept. We've seen um, leaked um, photos and, and um, even cars that are at the back of engineers' um, yards as they work from home for COVID-19. Um, but it looks like, um, yeah, it's officially coming in July in America. Remains to be seen if we'll see a right-hand drive version. I really hope we do. I think it's a really cool four-wheel drive, kind of like the FJ Cruiser was for Toyota. Um, and even some of the things are going to be very similar. So the Bronco um, looks like it's going to have a solid front and rear axles and um, sharing the platform with the Ford Ranger. So that alone gives me hope that given we have the Ford Ranger, that um, if it's running that same platform, you know, we could possibly see a right-hand drive version of the Bronco. Yeah, but if it's um, based on the Ranger, it could be based on their Ranger. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, I can dream. That's, yeah. that's we okay. can all dream. We can all hope. <laughs> we would love to see it here, but I just don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately. No. Well, look, I'll start the petition now um, <laughs> and we'll go from there. I think we get a few. It kind of looks. Looking at that picture of the black, the black one, it looks um, kind of like an American version of the new Land Rover that's coming out. But I'm getting a bit of a vibe from the old International Scout. Oh yeah, type design. Yeah, it's reckon? very simple um, plan. Yeah, flat, so. slab-sided, yeah, yeah, very square. But I think this, like, people love boxy four-wheel drives. Like, even, so we've got the, 
excuse me, the the Bronco Defender, Jimny Wrangler. Like people want boxy, off-road capable four-wheel drive. So Ford, yeah, give it to us. It enables you to, yeah, it's true. <laughs> it enables you to see everything too when you've got flat sides in your four-wheel drive. You can see where your yeah. wheels are. Yeah, good, um, good re- re- What uh, I found odd as well. Yeah, what I found odd was when the H3 came out, um, and it was a big square box, but the interior space was awful. The packaging yeah. was terrible. They had no space in it. They had bits of plastic getting in the way, so you couldn't put loads in the back very well. That would it was it was baffling because essentially it was a it's same platform as the Colorado Rodeo, basically. Mm. And then they just made it completely impractical by making it bigger. I don't know, it's, it really confused me. Yeah. Um, the Bronco doesn't look like that. It looks like the Bronco's got a nice high glass house. You can see everything out, um, like you can see out quite well just by the look of it. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see how how big it is because I mean the Ranger is not a small, not a small car really. No. Not a small truck. No. It's um, and even in uh, there was an article. I think I closed the window. Um, An article that showed it sitting next to at a, when I was visiting um, the, I think Trump was visiting one of the, um, the factories and they had a Ford Ranger on one side and a Bronco on the other. And the Bronco actually sits higher, sits higher and looks wider than the Ranger it's next to. Um, right. Yeah, so it could be quite big. Um, but, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. And when we can finally travel to the US again, um, hopefully snag a ride, um, whether it's from Ford or from if, someone who's just bought one. Um, if I see if one on the side of the road, I'd be like, wave them down and go, hey, hey, hey. Um, yep. And, uh, but, yeah, we'll see how long it is until we can actually head back to the US. Um but next up is looks like uh, much to the dismay of a lot of people again with the controversial four series front end that uh, some form of M4 prototype has been spotted out and about sporting the big um, big grill, but obviously a, a very aggressive R and um, yeah matching matching side profile as well which I, don't, I think it looks much better it's also in a, like a dark gray um paint scheme and um i think it works better in this than the official images from um the for the regular four series what do you guys think yeah, it looks good. It's uh, it's yeah, it's def like you say, it's definitely more aggressive. Um, they're also talking about that the um slots in the grill uh actually can go. There's a series of horizontal slots um with it as well. So I reckon obviously that's part of it because they're helping with um with the cooling design around the M4. So um and a and a and more aggressive uh, front splitter as well. So mm. um yeah. Uh, it'll be good. I think once we finally see some official shots, we can we have an idea. But good yeah. to see that there is a development happening on that. Yeah. So let's just and speculate then, and- that those horizontal slats are um, running like ducting, so you can increase your downforce at the front end, and then it goes through the vents on the bonnet. You can see the bonnet there. They got 
exit vents. I'm sure they'll be functional. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no I, it well. look at it. I think the way that it's designed to draw air in or um to help with it, I think it'll yeah, definitely designed to to help with its um drag co- mm. coherent. And they're saying, um, yeah, it, it's probably going to have a similar um, turbocharged three-liter inline six that the X3M and the X4M has. So it has about, you know, it could yeah. see about 500 horsepower, um, which, look, you know, that's a lot of power for a car like that, you know, a, yeah. sports, a sports coupe. That's, uh, yeah, that's power to not sneeze at, um, you know, particularly when it's tuned by a, a car company. So the X, the X, in the M40 X3, it does, I think, 11 three quarters or something. I think that's what it was. Because they were trying to do timing between, comparing it between that and the other guys' um, Model S. Now pulling almost exactly the same times, but it was almost equally as consistent. So in a in a lighter coupe, it's going to be pretty fast. And then, you know, any special editions like a competition or a CS or anything like that, we're going to see, you know, would see more power, less weight. Mm, <laughs> there's probably, it's probably um, a lot of headroom as well in that in that fairly conservative figure, I would imagine anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the last bit of a... Either that I or they go to a two-litre hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Whack a big battery in there, um, and a sail as well for good measure. But uh, so I've I've been a big fan of the Mustang Bullet. I've seen a couple get around, and not obviously you know being the car it is, they're not going to be absolutely um, be everywhere. But uh, it seems like Ford is on a bit of a roll in terms of you know bringing back nostalgia-filled names because it seems like they're bringing back the and we don't know if we'll see it in Australia, but the the Mustang Mark One um, for 2021 to replace the Bullet Special Edition. Um, now, given what they did with the Bullet, um, you know, and did a very good um, homage to the. Obviously, the the famous Mustang Bullet. I have high hopes that they're going to do something pretty special with the Mac One. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, well, like the Bullet, the Bullet had been reincarnated a couple of times um, back in you know sort of circa twice before previous to this one. Um, yeah. And I had yeah. a friend that actually had a previous gen Bullet, not the the last one before this current gen one. And so the Mark One again, it not. As many in the past, there was obviously when it was originally came out in the um, the late 60s, but then there was a second generation one that came in around 2003, 2004. Um, so to see a third gen is... Uh, is pretty cool. Um, it yeah. was originally designed to fill the gap between the current or well, the GT models and and the Shelby models uh, in the range. So uh, designed to give that little bit of an edge um, and to have that model for people to make the jump to that wanted something better than a, a GT. They wanted something a bit more racy. So it's nice to see that... Um, Ford are doing the same thing. The talk is obviously, of course, this Mark One will probably do the same sort of thing. It'll sit above the GT and probably below the the Shelby GT three fifty and GT five hundred. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's cool the to five see. Five liter V eight. <laughs> yeah, so bring that 
in terms of what they'll do mechanically, it's hard to say. The spy shots we've seen, um, you know, the the side of the car is unchanged and it seems to be the front and rear end is where we'll probably see some model changes, um, particularly those, um, if you look at the shot, the two circular vents on the on the front grille. Um, so, yeah, I'm intrigued to see what they're, they're planning to do um, with it. But, yeah, hopefully we'll see it here with the success of the bullet uh, of late that uh, when it was released here, I think uh, it'd be nice to see them do the same thing with the Mark 1. Mm. I think that previous, like not the current gen, but the previous gen um, bullet, maybe the one your friend's got, Joel, I think that was probably the better looking one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I was about to say, Mustangs seem to have a real knack for reviving nameplates and put you know using them appropriately they say but we don't see all the mustangs here obviously there's a lot more that go on in the us and then i noticed it says in the article that they did actually put the mac one name on the mustang too which was yeah, a right. front wheel drive hatchback <laughs> it was not quite terrifying yeah it was a terrifying um instance it's the it's the relative you don't invite to christmas ever um but they but, are, yeah there's a bit of a resurgence of them which is quite interesting that they're um of the mustang twos yeah, yeah. they're starting to gain like the fox bodies they're starting to gain you know um you know, a little bit of a cult is, following yeah they're starting to get that cult following again so mm. well We'll see. We'll see if we get them down here. Um, chances are we very could, but um, just obviously uh, Ford developed for the Mustang anyway. Each version is, um, you know, have their own little feasibility analysis done, and uh, yeah, we'll see if it makes its way down under. So let's touch on a little bit of motorsport, uh, Joel. Uh, I think a couple of things have happened. Um, the thing, big one being uh, Bentley's withdrawal. Um, so it means we won't be seeing it at Bathurst, uh, the Torb Hour. Yeah, the big white fridge. Uh, we won't see racing around the mountain um, with direct support from Bentley. Uh, Bentley have decided to withdraw from uh, the International GT Challenge, which is part of the, the 12 the 12 hour is part of that um look they're pulling out as a factory team but they are still going to support customer racing so that's good we still may see some around so they'll still be supporting sort of their customer teams um you know they currently have 12 customer cars running around and, and stuff like that but yeah look it's a sign of the times unfortunately with covid um we also had some news that porsche are withdrawing from um IMSA as well so you know a lot of the brands are hurting in terms of their sales and and things like that at the moment with COVID causing issues with throughout the industry so unfortunately yeah this uh, someone said the other day when this news was announced that it probably won't be the it's not the first and it probably won't be the last unfortunately but yeah um, I think uh, the European market for these performance vehicles and stuff like that is really hurting at the moment because of all the lockdowns and everything that have been happening in Europe because Europe has obviously caught, had a lot uh, more issues and, and problems around COVID than what we have here in Australia. Yeah. So, yeah, look, it, it's, sad, it's sad to see. Uh, I'm glad that they 
are kind of going out on a high after winning the twelve hour this year. Um, but yeah, it's look, it's it's sad to see. Great car, yeah, so good, so good to have. Great looking, looks looked fantastic around the mountain, and mm. and the Bentley team were full of passion, and and they really, um, uh, they really were one of those teams that were fantastic to see, and they really love coming to Australia every year, and and have been pushing hard. So their current partnership is with um, with M Sport. Um, and I believe that that is going to partly continue through the, the customer uh, racing um, as well. So, yeah, look, it, it, it's it's sad to see them disappearing, but, yeah, unfortunately it's the, the sign of the times. Yeah. No, well, we'll see uh, see who the survivors are coming uh, come the 12-hour um, in February. But, if we get that, they're, they're talking well, now that the 12-hour yeah. might not even go ahead, that it'll probably be a, a supercar round um, as well as possibly, uh, we just don't know. It's too early too early yeah. to, to say, but yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, but racing is starting to, to re-happen. We've just had mm. IndyCar have just uh, had their first uh, race back. Um, yes. And one by Kiwi Scotty Dixon. So yeah. uh, our own Will Power was down in thirteenth. Uh, um, but yeah, great to see them back. They ran without fans. Um, so yeah, this you know this time of year is traditionally our Indy five hundred uh, event, but that uh, has been pushed till later in the year. Um, but yeah, good to see that the Indy car are back. NASCAR have already been running for a little bit. Um, so yeah, American uh, racing is starting to to get back um, and and running. So that was really really good to see. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was it's good to see IndyCar back on track. Mm, absolutely, it's um yeah it's it's kind of weird seeing real racing come back now after uh, so much uh, I guess so much of a focus on other types of. Um, sim racing but i'm still hanging out for formula one i know that we're just uh just under a month now nearly there nearly there so lots of double headers that's um, it back back to back so i'm excited Mm. by that and uh it was interesting uh before we last bit of news but um Mercedes have really pushed back and justified their um, – so apparently a few teams um, had had said yes in these double headers. let's have the second race be a reverse grid. Um, even Red Bull were welcoming it, um, but it seems like uh, Mercedes are the ones uh, – the main ones pushing back on it, saying it's going to affect the output, outcome of the championship and, and, and that kind of thing. And I said – and all I could think of was like, that's exactly why it should happen. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or we do something that has no effect. (laughs) That's it. So it's like, well, that's 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 it. Yeah. So I I think it was just a a pretty poor excuse to to be resistant to it. And obviously, with Mercedes of where they're at, the stature which they had, they have a bit of a um, bit of influence um, around. But yeah, I I guess the door's still open to see potential for reverse grids. I think uh, a lot of teams are worried that we'll just get the same result. Um, as the first race, which, you know, I think a lot of fans are worried about too. Um, we've spoken about it a lot. Um, 
but yeah, so the Red Bull Ring uh, is the first race, the Austria. Um, yeah, that's a good track. Um, particularly, it even it'd be even better with a reverse grid because it's a quick yeah. track, a really fast one. So it's uh, yeah. But oh, we'll just have to wait and see, and then we'll be finally able to discuss those uh, those wonderful races. I hope. Um, and not a, su- a snooze fest, <laughs> but we'll see how we go. Um, but one thing I did want to touch on is that um, we have uh, Daily Autofix has actually um, joined uh, Red Mist Racing. They're a, a, a sim racing team um, that t- participates in the Sector 1 sim racing series. So it's a local Aussie um, sim racing series that... Uh, surprisingly, the production value is excellent, um, and um, they do a couple of uh, racing um, series which they have. One is the M3 Challenge, which they race the M- M3 GT, and then they also have um, Red Mist Racer M6 GT3 in the Sector One GT series. Um, so they're in pre-season at the moment. So um, uh, one of their drivers um, missed, uh, ended up coming third in the M3 GT um, in the first pre-season race, which is obviously a good result. And um, it's very weird seeing the daily autofix logo on the car, but it's uh, obviously something I'm very excited to see. Um, it's cool to see, especially when there is drama. I never realized, and this is probably what other sponsors in real life um, racing get a thrill out of when you're particularly a small one. Um, seeing, you know, even if your car is involved in a bit of drama, obviously that means a lot of replays and a lot of replays means a lot of visibility. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastically well done and, um, put together racing series every Sunday night at seven o'clock. Um, they, uh, they are often racing. You've got commentators, excellent coverage. They even, um, every, every race, um, which they do, they also cover off, um, they do things like a purple sector lap just to show you how to squeeze out the, the best time, um, out of the race track which they're about to race on so yeah it's a, it's a good one and um if you're looking for something to tune into on a sunday night um after dinner it uh could be a good one to just sit back and, and watch some some aussie races cool have we got a link on that on your yes yeah, so we'll share it on uh on on facebook and um we'll, and uh yeah we'll share that through social media every time they're going live um to cool. tune in so it's, uh, it's it's done on YouTube as well. So it's um it's pretty easy to to tune in and uh, and watch. And um, cool. Joel, so Joel, you um came up with a with a recommendation um on uh, to watch on Ten Play, um which is the uh, do you want to take us through it? Yeah, so it just came up uh, in my feed just prior to us coming on air tonight. Um, I've watched this series before and absolutely loved it. I must admit that I'm a bit of a fan of Idris Elba because he's he is a, a closet car. Well, he's not really a closet. He's a, he's a car guy. Um, and a couple of years ago, he did this great series called Idris Elba. Uh, King of Speed, and uh, it's him traveling around the world, um, visiting different um, parts of motorsport and racing. Um, He starts off in the US and uh, ends up driving a NASCAR and and talks a little bit about 
um, how NASCAR got started with its um, uh, bootlegging and, and things like that. But, uh, yeah, it's on 10 Play. So it's Channel 10's online um, through their app and then through their website where you can watch it. So um, all it costs you is just an email <laughs> address to, to, to register. But, uh, yeah, definitely worth a, worth a watch. Um it's three episodes, uh, and it's him exploring um, different parts of the automotive and motorsport world. Um, my highlight is him riding with Rusty Wallace in a NASCAR through the streets of um, uh, one of the towns in um, in Watkins Glen in the US, um, driving a, mm-hmm. <laughs> a NASCAR with no rule restrictions through the streets. Uh, it's pretty cool. But, yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, as I said, three episodes. Uh, you can watch it online. But, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Idris Elba's King of Speed uh, on 10 Play. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I um, I missed it the first time, so I'll have to sit down and, and watch that. I think it'll be quite good. Well, man, been a bit of a marathon today. Lots of news to cover. Um, so, you know, touch on. Uh, so, what have you got up uh, this week, Joel? Anything? Uh, anything exciting? Uh, this week, yeah, doing some more filming with a couple of clients, but um, I'm jumping into at the end of the week, which I'm excited about. I'm jumping into the Subaru XV Hybrid. Cool. Um, so that'll be uh, being a. a, a arriving to me towards the end of the week so mm-hmm. i'm excited uh for that and then i'm hopefully going on a cruise with uh, a couple of mates at, uh, over the weekend so i'm looking forward to just going for a bit of a, a drive up into the hills um we're safely socially distancing and uh, they can't think of a better way to do it than with multiple people cruising along in a in cavalcade of cars uh, up in the hills uh, so that should be fun. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting behind the wheel of the XV and checking that out, um, particularly that there's now obviously this hybrid version. So I'm intrigued to see what, um, one, obviously what the performance is going to be like, but obviously then what the economy is like running the, the petrol engine with the, the hybrid powertrain. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'll, be, um, I'll be interested to find out too, Joel, about um, how similar it is to the Toyota setup, obviously. Yeah. Bit of a tie up there with Fuji Heavy Industries, Subaru, and uh, and Toyota there. So yeah, yeah well, I'm backing it up. Uh, back to back. So when the EV, when the XV goes back, I I grab the Forester Hybrid as well. So um, I'm keen to obviously try them both back to back and see what they're like. Uh, having driven yeah, the cool. the Rav4 Hybrid, um, uh, I know what that's like. So. I'm planning to take one of them down to the similar area where I drove the RAV um, just to, to get a bit of a feel um, actually through that same area because I really noticed it on one patch of road that I drove it on, um, particularly downhill and then driving uphill uh, on quite a steep bit of road. Um, so I'm intrigued. Yep. So I'll probably take one of the two of them down to that same bit uh, just to see what it's like and just to see if I get that same sort of feel and stuff like that. But, yeah, I'm really excited. Um, looking forward to though, to both of those. And getting outside. Yeah, that, that too. <laughs> um, yeah, getting out and actually shooting some cool content. So uh, that's the other yep. thing I'm excited about as well. I've got a couple of cool ideas to do with both of those. So, um, yeah, I'm going to try and do some stuff. So uh, I won't say too much in terms of what my ideas are in case they don't <laughs> pan out. But, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to that. 
cool. And you've uh, got the the Kia Sportage, Mick. So should be good. Yeah, I haven't got anything particularly planned out for it. It'll just be regular um, family stuff. Uh, we're actually looking at doing a bit of bushwalking this weekend, so um, I'll see how much I can challenge it before we have to get out and walk. <laughs> Hopefully we won't be walking to a tow truck or something, but it should be fine. But, yeah, no, I'm a big fan of the Sportage, so I'm, I'm going to enjoy myself just um, cruising along and being a, doing some regular parenting-type stuff doing some kid ferrying and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it'll be good. And it's yeah. got seat heaters as well, hasn't it? <laughs> it does. I don't know what it's like cooling. down there, Joel, but we've been getting down to like 14 degrees up here, so it's been pretty torturous. Uh, four degrees the other morning when I went for a walk. So, um, yeah. Ten, been a bit 14. No, four. <laughs> and then today we went out to take the, uh, the dog for we a bit of a run, run. Yeah. and it was 10. <laughs> So, um, yeah. <laughs> no. No, not, uh, not overly the most warmest of things. No. Though, peculiarly, um, in the one one weird thing that I remembered is uh, in the Colios, um, it's also uh, loaded with uh, heated and cooling seats. But... The first time I've ever encountered that on the right-hand side for the driver, it has uh, cooling on one side and heated on the other. But on the passenger side, it's not mirrored. It's like on the same... So if if cooling is on the left-hand side for the driver, it's on the left-hand side for the passenger. And it's the first time I've ever seen where they haven't mirrored the, the buttons for each side they've just gone straight away and so if you're jumping in between I've, I've had a couple of people where they they looked at my side and I hit it and then they just instinctively hit said oh you hit the, someone cool. hit the same and you know, why is my seat so cold it's not heating up and I said oh because you hit the wrong button um, which I thought was very very wow. peculiar I haven't seen that before um, I thought I was particular but you've just taken that to another level <laughs> <laughs> Once if you drive it, you'll you'll understand it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but no, I um I'll I'll continue my X Trail this week. Um and then I'll I'll touch base with you, Mick, um, about some exciting places I can then uh take the the Supra um to enjoy some of these uh no travel restrictions for Queensland and um, yes. see some of these yeah, wherever we like. up away. As far as yep. the fuel tank will take me, and then some. <laughs> well, it's all up to you. That's it. Well, uh, let, let's let's wrap it up there, and um, hope you guys have a good week. Thanks for tuning. If you may, if you've made it all this way, well, kudos to you. Um, either you have a very boring commute, or you just need someone to <laughs> keep you interested uh, and, and entertained for a little while. Um, but look, yeah, thanks for joining us. If you have any question questions, uh, send us through an email at shows at dailyautofix.com. Um, you can follow Joel at Joel Strick Photo or Mick at Low Flight Tech. Um, always sharing some interesting things and uh, Mick himself sharing his uh, non-conventional thoughts as well sometimes, uh, depending on the car. Um, but look, that's it. Uh, you can follow us at Daily Autofix and until next week, happy travels. See you then. See you all next week. See you later.